This episode of How to Wrestling was requested by Luke Goguen, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. And hey, if you want to support the show, get access to a whole bunch of bonus episodes, including pay-per-view reviews for WWE, NXT, and AEW going all the way back to SummerSlam 2015, and our new pay-per-view classique series with Royal Rumble 2002 coming your way shortly, side ventures like The Big Show, 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 and of course our new new Q&A video series that takes place for $10 backers. All of this, of course, is available at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. But for now, settle yourselves in. We'll not get choked out, but don't forget to bring a towel. It's time for How To Taz. episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, or goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. Or maybe this episode, it should be like, get into wrestling if you can, understand it, and goodness knows, maybe even enjoy it if I let you. But that feels a bit gatekeeper However, once again, I'm the gatekeeper, Kevin Mann. Join us, I am always, in this educational guide in the world of wrestling today, learning all about Taz, the human path of rage, by the path of inquisitiveness, Joe Graham. Hello. Joe, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but I can't think of a person you are least like than our subject matter today in Taz. Is that a compliment? I think so. It could be viewed as a compliment for you, and I'm sure Taz could view it as a compliment as well. Tell me all the things you love about me that aren't relevant to Taz. Aren't relevant or are different to different Taz? Different to Taz. Okay. Oh, this is weird. We're like flipping it on the, on the head here now. Yeah. Because usually I ask you what you know about someone, but... Now uh, I'm telling you to tell me what you know about me that's different from him. Okay, guys, just a little bit of guy talk here, a bit of bro code, but, you know, know some red flags. And if your partner or your girlfriend tries to get you to compliment them only by explicitly criticizing a wrestler mm. that's a red flag <laughs> so i'm gonna rock in a hard place now you're gonna make you upset or make taz upset i feel if i get things wrong here okay i feel i mean i feel he's gonna get upset regardless oh god well, you've, you've, you've joe's got a thorough education on taz it definitely all right you're a very bright and positive person am i yes i think i think you are i think that you do try to even in, at oftentimes, a very murky, miresome place in the world of wrestling, try and look for, for some positives. I think you generally are a bright and positive person. Uh, not to say that Taz is, like, dumb. I just mean, like, bright as in, like, ah! Taz is someone who went through most of his career having a moniker that was used for marketing purposes of being, and I quote, the most miserable son of a bitch on the planet. Yeah, he refers to himself as a miserable workhorse in one of the promos <laughs> you showed me, which I must admit, I do love that expression. Although I think I'm a bit of a miserable workhorse sometimes. You can be can at be. times, yeah. yeah. But I would say if you're a miserable workhorse, I mean, if this podcast sounded like it was coming two miserable workhorses oh. talking to you, it wouldn't sound like it would be the light and airy fun time it seems to no. be. And I think a lot of that is down to you. <laughs> I think one thing I definitely have in common with Taz is we're both quite sensitive to criticism. Yeah, I think I have that in common with Taz as well. We can all relate to that. Taz, the human condition. Yeah. We've, we've said the word Taz a lot and I've done some verbal gymnastics there to try and make everyone happy. 
But I'm going to ask you right now, before we did any of the research or any of the watching for this, what did you know about this man from Red Hook, New York? I didn't know much about him. I know he does commentary. He's popped up a few times on commentaries and yeah. stuff. Although, as been established, commentary in you. <laughs> yeah, I don't really listen to commentary. I mean, listen to our episode on commentary to find out more about that. But yeah, on the whole, I ignore it. And I just, yeah, I just, I zone it out. I don't like, I don't like commentary. <laughs> okay, so the commentary part of him, you were aware of him as a commentator. And also we did an episode on Gail Kim and he did the commentary on a match on TNA and it was really bad. Your women have too many hormones, bro. Yeah, that was probably not the best introduction to Taz. I'm not going to say that it was an uphill struggle from that being the starting point. It is a hard, a hard sell from that on. It was a hard pivot right there. like cause, uh... Just, It's the basic ignorance of like assuming that men just don't have hormones. Just like that's it's such a bold accusation. I, I kind of feel like there is the gossamer thin armor of like, he's a heel commentator, bro. He can, he can say what he wants. Yeah. But then like, I feel like very often heel commentators seem to be the commentators that perturb you the most or irritate yeah. you the most or exemplify a lot of like the, the stuff in wrestling or the tone of wrestling that you don't like. I just feel like it's a really easy gig to do badly mm. i feel and it's the same as like being like an edgy stand-up comic yeah like it's just there's too much there's you can just be so lazy and still get laughs it's just cheap heat <laughs> and i just i hate i hate it and i hate the fact that you can just be shitty and mean and cruel and that's like apparently effective heel commentary i don't like that like i feel if you're going to be a heel commentator you have to have more to you than just be mean and i'm not saying that mm. taz is just mean and i will say taz is not just a heel commentator no. as well i'm uh, mainly yeah. talking about jerry lawler when i'm talking <laughs> about this <laughs> we'll have plenty of time to talk about jerry later on as mm. well like he will he will show up here but i mean he's a man who i would say and i think this is a difficult thing for people of of, of my age the people who maybe grow up in the 90s and whatnot that this man is probably as much known for a younger audience, or probably more so known for being like the guy who was on the video games with Michael Cole all those years, or the guy that was on your know, Saturday morning SmackDown during the kind of the early 2000s. On commentary. On commentary. And, you know, I remember the point, because my friend who I went to WrestleMania with, Cahill, great buddy of mine who used to do a film review show with on radio station back in, in, in Galway, and like he was the biggest Taz fan in the world. I remember the day where it's, I was like, hey, do you know today fishy marks today that Taz has been a commentator longer than he was an in-ring competitor and he was like <laughs> so I feel like there'll be a lot of Taz fans right now who will have heard you talk about yeah. him as a commentator and they'll be like no so had he cropped up or were you aware of him as a wrestler as an in-ring performer I knew that? yeah we watched obviously the I forget the name of the documentary but we watched the documentary about ECW for our ECW episode the rise and fall of ECW that's the one and he crops up quite a bit in that. And mm. I remember thinking at the time, he seemed like quite a fascinating gentleman. Very verbose, very well-spoken. And at that moment in that documentary, he came across as very calm and reasonable. Yeah. I remember watching that when that do I got the DVD as soon as it came out. And I was like, I don't know, all these stories about Taz. And then he was this like nice guy talking yeah. about working hard. Like, like that's the thing. Like he, he's a, right. So he's a, he's an absolute, badass motherfucker like Ooh, he's a total yeah but he is he's totally like a hard nut he's like he's the 
Brooklyn equivalent of those like really scary lads you get in England who like live in the pub and will definitely fight you after a couple of pints and like you really don't want to make them angry because they're really scary and really tough so, and they I mean, all become yeah. wrestlers as well like. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I mean bad motherfucker or tough and all that but he is like he walked this is the thing that mainly stuck with me from the ECW documentary was he broke his neck in a match finished the match mm-hmm walked like five or ten miles to the nearest hospital like just down the side of a road and the amount of times like where like you're allowed to exaggerate because you could walk half a mile and you might as well walk ten miles with a broken yeah because you've done it it doesn't matter know? does it yeah, yeah. so like any amount is ridiculous so he goes to the hospital and uh then he's like yeah i've broken my neck and they're like no you, you can't have broken your neck you walked here you would you would literally be dead and then they looked at him and, yeah, he'd broken his neck and he'd walked, like, ten miles. So he's legitimately tough as shit. Okay. And toughness is not something which... Like, I do remember early on, very early days of how to wrestling, and I kind of feel like it was a misstep because I myself am not necessarily enamoured with this concept of toughness in wrestling like a lot of folks are. Yeah. I can appreciate toughness. But I did kind of early on almost give up on trying to sell you on wrestlers by saying this guy's so tough or she's so tough or they're mm. tough as nails and whatnot. Because I kind of feel like, not that it's a moot point, but like in wrestling you gotta be tough to be a wrestler full stop, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like I just take it for granted that like if you are a wrestler you are tough. Like yeah. that's the thing. Like if you're tougher than me, you're tough and then like that's so impressive to me. Like it's it's not like I'm just always impressed by anyone who's like just tougher than me, which is pretty much everyone in the world, because I'm not particularly tough. I don't know. I think you're tougher than me. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, maybe. I get I get too hot sometimes when I cook and I have to go outside. Like, that's true. You have that's to cool how down. Not tough. I am. But like. I I get very cold and I have to go to bed. Yeah. So that's not very tough, is and, it? And that is why Joanna Graham always lets a cooler head prevail. <laughs> Taz is. Obviously, a very unique individual in like so much as his appearance. We're we're going into ECW. We're into the late nineties. I was going to ask you first, kind of with regards to the late nineties. We've done quite a few wrestlers from WCW, from WWE, from ECW from that time period. What are some of the things about the late nineties that you think were were common with wrestlers at the time? Like, so what you mean in terms of what what their style is or their what they how they look or? I mean, I'm probably talking strictly from looks here, like ring gear, kind of how they how how they present themselves. They say. all look like Bret Hart. They're all muscular, <laughs> like hairless. Actually, that's not true. Some of them are quite hairy. Yeah. But they're all very muscular. They're all like six foot five. They're all massive, great big yokes. Mm. Uh, yeah. Big, I mean, big lads, but with long hair. <laughs> Taz is obviously uh, a different, a different mole then. You told me that Taz, and I didn't realise this because I thought Taz was quite tall. He just has this like, like I, I, I get told often that I seem taller than I am. People often think I'm like, I'm nearly six foot apparently. How, how tall are you? I'm only five foot six and a half inches. Really? Which means I'm the same height as Taz. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Which is so cute. Imagine that. Little Don't. cute Taz. I'm so... Don't I'm... call him cute. <laughs> Why not? He's allowed to be cute. There's nothing wrong with being... Oh, I hate this. Why isn't he allowed to be cute? I mean, all right, wait, you're... Okay, we we can we can label Taz as cute. I'm sure. And I'm he- not saying it's just because he's short that he's cute. Like, okay, there's lots of short people who aren't cute, and there's lots of tall people who are cute. Like, I'm you're not- very cute, and then you're tall. Well, do you know what? If Taz and I can be cute together, then I feel less weird about it. So you know, I just like I 
I often look at the pictures of like when we've met our fans and then there's like all these tall podcasters and all these like random like normal height people. <laughs> and then there's like me. Yeah. And I actually I'm technically average height. Five you foot, are, you're very five foot average six and a half is like literally average height for like someone of my gender and everything. And so. I would say more of your shoes than not have heels or lifts of some sort in them. Yeah. But just the thought of like Taz being surrounded by like my friends is very cute to me. Imagine that. Sorry, I have to emphasize this. Imagine Taz standing near you, Adam, Billy, and Sam Chaplin. They're all over six foot three. And he's got his arms folded. He's got his arms folded. And there's me and Taz, and we're like back to back, (laughs) the exact same height, doing kicks maybe. This is what has happened now. You're just just trying to get yourself another podcasting gig here now, all of a sudden. That's what's happening here. Oh, not with Taz. No, thank you. Here's a question then. You'd you'd said then before, like, you'd, thought that he was tall so like when you'd seen the footage of taz in the ecw docs i know he he had cropped up a few times Mm. you know in other episodes with with regards to ecw in particular so all those times did you in your mind you had mind's eye he was like what six foot type of yeah at least like six two probably i imagined him being like a big big lad like i don't care about height kind of at all in wrestling honestly i really don't but what I always be interested in, me personally, and this regards like height, body shape, we've talked about in previous episodes when people haven't fit the mould, is anyone who just goes into a place like wrestling and it's like, well, typically you are this, this and this. And mm. the person's like, well, I'm one of those four things, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And, they, and they still manage to find a way to excel. Like I find that I'm so fascinated with that yeah and i don't know why it's because i was quite a a little kid Mm. so i think i mentally always think of myself as being a lot smaller than i am see i wonder if that's it because i was a very tall kid i was my height now at the age of 11 so i've literally like not grown you've been the same height i've been the same height i was i was so tall so young so you were told often because my brother was similar like he he grew to the height he is now when he was like 11 so he was like a giant in a a primary school i mean like taz is to say that he's an anomaly in terms of like his his look is is an understatement because not only is he a guy maybe of shorter stature not a lot of folks as well where the main part of their body like the most kind of like prominent part are his thighs hmm. like Taz is thick with like ten C's afterwards? Yeah, it's true. And like I have always was fascinated by that. Like you always get, I've got the largest arms in the world. Like people always talk about their big chest, their big pythons, dude, and all that. And then here was this guy who was short stature who had legs like fucking tree trunks. Yeah, and like that for me was always like the most fascinating thing about his his body and whatnot. Yeah, because like I think I mean I've I've often said how much I feel diversity is very important in wrestling just because I get bored easily. I don't like get i don't like getting people mixed up and i'm kind of lazy so <laughs> i do get people mixed up if i'm not paying attention so like if everyone looks different it's much easier for me so so i think it's it's easy for me to kind of like look at taz and be like so what he's he's short because yeah. like wrestling now has loads of short wrestlers it's not a thing at all it's like... Not a, like who i mean obviously it is still a thing like vince hates short people in wrestling but we've had so many like short in inverted commas world champions yeah. main eventers you know, and AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, like, you know, stature is, is not the thing it used to be. But I must admit, I still can't think of anyone else. And I don't know if it's just my mind's drawing a blank or if there genuinely isn't anyone to that same degree of, like, push who is as muscular and, as you say, thick yeah. and also short. Mm. Because, like, there's lots of, like, bigger guys who are tall. Like, there's, like, Otis, he's quite tall. Isn't he? I mean, he's yeah. not, like, massive, but no. he's, like... I think he's nearly six foot. Six, six, one, six, two, yeah. I'd say, yeah. 
Um, I'm trying to think of like anyone who's like anywhere near five foot seven. Who's short and has that who's muscle. Short and very muscular, yeah. Generally speaking, in wrestling, it's like, well, you haven't got the size or the height yeah. or whatever, so you go down the other, you're going to be the high flight, the cruiser yeah. light, lean, you know, maybe ripped up and all that, but not carrying a lot of, of size. Whereas, like, I don't think Taz ever looked like someone who would like, like, we, we watched some, we watched some matches like with Taz's commentator. Uh, to, you know, because I want to show Joe, like, kind of, he, he was as a commentator. We saw, like, some guys like Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle when they were packing on uncomfortable levels of muscle, let's yeah. just say. But for Taz, for me, like, he never had that body shape where it's like, oh, here's just, like, a big fucking gas freak, like, a no. steroid. Like, he's got big ass thighs. Can you think of any wrestler who's, like, paranoid about their body who wants to make their thighs bigger? No, Taz's thighs were massive because he suplexed people 10 times the size of them. That's why I loved his body was like told you what his wrestling style was like almost. Yeah. So I think we should broach this now because it might be a bit of an awkward chat otherwise. But you were having a not a, not a freaking out, but or not a crisis of confidence. But you had concerns before we sat down for recording the episode mm. about how you got on with Taz. I just I don't think there's been another episode we've done. Where I felt I had already formed such negative opinions on someone before we'd even sat down to record. Other, really? Other than Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Jesus. Why? I just what don't. What is this? And I feel really bad saying that. Because the tweets, I will oh. say, are mostly like, there's a, there's anger in the tweets, but it usually seems to be like anger at like companies and people for mishandling him and stuff yeah. like that. There doesn't seem a lot of anger directed at Taz and... I would would ask you what is the nature or source of the the bad vibe. Oh, I just feel really bad about it because like I don't like, and I don't I don't want to say that I dislike Taz. That's not true. I don't dislike him. I just don't like him. Right. But like I I hate that I don't like him because I I feel as you were saying I guess at the start of this podcast I try and be bright and yeah. optimistic and nice yeah. about things. I just I always try and see like what everyone else sees in people even mm. if i don't personally like th- like even hulk hogan i was able to go well i i can see why people like him even yeah. though he's definitely not for me and i guess it's kind of the same with taz like i can see what people like about him but it's just not for me it's interesting you say that because like for me like he was one of my guys absolutely when i was a kid like taz was 100 percent one of my guys like i absolutely loved him like i loved him as a good guy i loved him as a bad guy but people might be surprised to find out the majority of my exposure to Taz was in his WWE run. Yeah. It wasn't until I met my good friend Kaha later on that he was such a big Taz fan. He was a tape trader. He used to trade those ECW tapes back in the day. So we had all this like great Taz footage and stuff. And you know he showed me a lot of matches and I kind of got like a second education. It's like, wow, this guy who I really liked anyway was like way different and some would say way better in this other company. And I think what's really interesting about Taz is that I told you that my brother and his friends, they'd all be showing me like ECW videos and stuff like that. They'd never be showing me Taz matches. Oh, really? Yeah, they want to show me like Sandman or Sabu or Terry Funk or like people setting shit on fire. (laughs) Yeah, they don't want to show you Taz. Were you shocked to find out about Taz, even though he's known mostly as an ECW guy, is a guy who didn't use weapons or anything like that at all? No, not really, because I know from the ECW episode that we did that ECW is more than just weapons yeah. and extreme wrestling and stuff. Like they they had lucha wrestling and mm. stuff like that. They had a lot of different genres and styles. So I wasn't that surprised to find out that 
he was like a suplex machine. I love that phrase. The human suplex machine. Is that what he's like known as? He had so many monikers. The human suplex machine, the path of rage, the one man crime spree, thug life born, thug life bred, and when I'm gone I'll be thug life dead. Fucking hell. Uh, the orange and black attack, <sighs> FTW, Ugh. the mood is about to change. I hate all of these. Hate you hate all these, but yet you are very often... You are very often quick to jump on a wrestler and say they're great because the, they get the branding. and they get. Here's a guy, folks, who taught himself graphic design in the mid-90s. And he did all his own logos, all the ECW pay-per-view logos. He did all of his own merchandise. You, we were actually watching a, uh, watched his art of wrestling with Cole Cabana. And he actually mentioned the, the draw program that he used. And you were like... Yeah, oh, Coral Draw. What was this? Coral Draw. And is that like something you use like a, a, a pad, like with a like a digital pen type of a thing? Or is that like just something that you're working on a mouse? Or what type of a program is well, that? The program doesn't dictate the hardware. I, I know lots about graphic design, as you can tell. <laughs> you could choose to use a mouse or a tablet, mm-hmm. but... It was just like Photoshop. It was like early days. Or not even Photoshop. It was like kind of like Illustrator slash Photoshop. Yeah. It was like early design software. My mum's boyfriend had it on his old really? computer. Yeah, that's how I know about Coral Draw. Okay, interesting. So well, we're going to get into a bit of Taz now. A bit of a story. A little bit of like how he got to where he was. Because we're coming into wrestling, like starting our story here in the early 90s. Where wrestling is a lot, lot different from where Taz would eventually find himself in it it's weird to think of someone like taz trying to get his foot in the door in wrestling during like the era when hulk hogan and macho man and rick flair those were like the top guys yeah and that's very strange and something which i really was interested to get your takes on was taz's very early gimmicks when he was breaking in because taz trained with a guy called johnny rods who was a, a new york-based johnny wrestler rods. johnny rods <laughs> that's a great fucking name johnny rods <laughs> With a Z as well. With a Z. Of with a Z. Johnny Rod's got a Z in his name in the 80s. Think about how fucking cool that is. Cool. But when he was training with Johnny Rod's, he started, He first was Kid Crush and then he became the Tasmaniac. And do you remember what he actually looked like visually? What that gimmick was? He looked like a kind of caveman. <laughs> caveman? He had like wild big hair. Yeah. And he wore like a red singlet. Yeah. What else do you know about him that he that he rocked during this? Uh, or what he didn't rock, I should say. What he didn't rock? Yeah. I just, towel? He did have the towel. The towel would uh, would come later on. He'd uh, wrestle barefoot. That's not barefoot. He's wearing flip-flops. Oh, he's not flip-flops. I think those are like ankle holders or something. But he did generally wrestle barefoot. And other times as well, he rocked a little bit of the old face paint there. Oh, really? Yeah, how about that? See, when I first heard that he was originally called the Tasmaniac, yeah. I just assumed that that was a shit gimmick that Vince McMahon gave him. It was like, make him a Tasmaniac because he looks vaguely foreign. Well, like, that is kind of in many but, respects. But it wasn't Vince, though. It was no, him. It was, no, it was Taz him, yeah. himself going, I look vaguely foreign, therefore I should do this gimmick where I'm this wild man. He said in interviews, and here's the thing with Taz, you know, he's someone very prolific with his radio shows, podcasts and all that. I think he's the first person we've done an episode on in a long time where I could find zero, like, 
you know, proper sh lengthy shoot interviews. Like we had the art of wrestling with Colt, where it was kind of like a conversation. He has talked a lot on his show about different phases of his career, but he's not the man sitting down for three hours in front of a video camera telling you every detail of his of his life story and all that. So a lot of this is kind of piecemeal and whatnot. Okay. But it was the gimmick that was devised by him, him and his his trainer. The reason that he went with it is because he had the nickname of Taz when he was in football when he was playing football in college and high school american football I'm american guessing. football yeah and you, you remember taz from the looney tunes i was obsessed with taz did you you remember i had a little crush on taz really yeah. tell me all that that's literally it well what era of taz are you talking classic warner brothers taz are you talking tasmania taz i don't know i was 10 okay was was the show on something that was on tv like it was just taz and other taz like creatures it was Taz and his family. Yeah, that's Tasmania. Okay. That was a great show. Yeah. Anyone ever wants to know what my dad was like? He's a cross between yeah, and the dad and the in dad. Taz. And yeah. I'll tell you what as well, what's great is that my dad, independently of the dad and Taz, became obsessed with orange juice in the mid-90s as well. <laughs> and he would literally talk about how much he loved Tropicana orange juice, like, you know, which is absolutely fabulous. It was going to be a Bing Crosby thing, I realise now, uh, looking back on that. Oh, really? Because Bing Crosby, yeah. Uh, advertised oranges oh. which i now know so yeah <laughs> he had the nickname of the tasmanian devil um, and he figured that that was like something that he could draw upon he had kind of a bit of a rough and tumble time in college he got kicked out of his scholarship uh, and his full ride at university as a, as a football player because he got in and i quote a bad fight that he won Right. So, yeah. <laughs> because I won, they took me out of the team and they took me out of the university. All right, I gotta stop. I'm just gonna do that nonstop, otherwise this episode. Um, Can you do Taz as an Animal Crossing character? Oh fuck! <laughs> I don't know why. I just want to, I just want to go like it's about. <laughs> um, it would probably want to go. Something like that, you know, the little husky yeah. in there, but um. Yeah, the Tasmanian, the Tasmaniac character in wrestling. He said he was inspired by Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Uh, the murderer. No, he's not. You no, know, he didn't get inspired. Like, oh, maybe I should murder my loved one. No, it wasn't that. Just that Jimmy Snooker had the kind of the, the wild man gimmick from the Fiji Islands. He didn't really speak. And when he did, it was it was in kind of cryptic, riddly type things. He had the crazy look in his eyes. He didn't know what he's going to do. What's he going to get away with next? Like, you know, okay. that crazy wild-eyed Jimmy Snooker. Maybe he'll kill someone. Well, he's going to murder someone else, is he? Like, you know. Oh. Uh, the other person who inspired him was Sting. Uh, he saw Sting when Sting was first starting out, and he had the what, colorful Sting, colorful Sting with the face paint. Aww. And he thought, well, I could do the face paint, and I could be a colorful character, but also have the kind of crazy kind of persona. And he did apparently. I didn't find out much info about this, but he did get a tryout with WWF in like 1991. Oh, right, yeah. With the Tasmania gimmick. I'm not surprised at all. It seems like it would have fit perfectly it does, into like Vince's silly gimmicks like roster. And I will say as well, kudos to Taz for finding a way in 1991 to make being very short as palatable as possible for Vince McMahon. Yeah. He's like the Tasmanian devil, pal. The pro if you said Mighty Mouse, he would have got him there. He wrong mammal, mate. Like, <laughs> you know, so close. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of quite interesting that he... You know, for someone who's known as such a serious character, that he had this very cartoonish look. I mean, because I heard he takes himself really seriously. Where did you hear that from, Joe? People on Twitter. 
<laughs> and people have been like saying that like, in the tweets and such you know it's like they yeah. take stuff seriously well, we've had other wrestlers take themselves seriously yeah Bret Hart very seriously Bret but took Bret Hart didn't have a really silly character where he played a Tasmanian devil based off a cartoon I don't want to be a cowboy Joe <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be like if Bret Hart came up with the idea of him being a cowboy yeah but uh, this was Tad this is the thing is like I, I remember when I saw that ECW documentary I was like what it was like seeing like an ugly high school photo of someone hot like yeah. was a big star and i was like what they used to look like this yeah and like he 100 percent owns it he was like this is my gimmick it's part of my character at the time i almost got my foot in the door and it, it was over in ecw people loved it like it's the original so ECW. weird to imagine that character in ecw imagine paul Heyman booking that yeah like, you know that's weird uh, but the idea was because paul Heyman. When he was booking the original Eastern Championship Wrestling, and Taz is one of the names he wanted from the Northeast because he just thought this is a guy who's got a really good look, and you know he was bringing in Sabu, and the idea is that Sabu was this crazy maniac who had to be tied up with chains, and he would, he want to kill you, and then the idea is Taz was this like savage who'd come from this mysterious Tasmanian island, and the two of them were like they would team they teamed together a few times, but it was the idea was that that would be the dream match that Taz and Sabu would, would come at each other, you know, eventually. Well, because they were both wild. Both crazy wild men. Right. Now, what happened with Taz was that, you know, the story that you, you, you relayed to him Sarah at the start was that he broke his neck quite early on in his run in ECW. But I think a lot of wrestlers can be like, yeah, man, I got a stinger. Like, I'll never forget Pitbull number two, I think it is. He's uh, was one of the wrestlers in ECW at the time. And, like, he insisted, well, according to the guy who gave him the move that broke his neck, he insisted on taking the move a certain way, landed right in his head, and then afterwards, he's like, oh, something wrong with my neck, and he's, like, trying to crack his neck and make it feel better, and he'd broken two vertebrae. And he's there in the back, going, you know, do the Brock Lesnar, like, cracking my neck, bro. Whoa. So. That's so scary, like, the thought of just someone doing that and then being like, mm, just gotta get a click and, my- oh, I'm dead now. Oh, And they just God. die in front of you. Yeah, no, that's. So scary. That's absolutely horrifying like it's like oh maybe i'll pull this little hangnail oh no i've given myself a little cut that that's like the worst thing in the world <laughs> only to if me. like the, the hangnail kept going and it unwrapped <sighs> your entire skin yeah and then like unwrapped your vertebrae as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things about Taz breaking his neck here one the the story of the walking to the eeyore that's like insanity i i struggled to think of a story of that combines both the bravado and the stupidity of wrestling at the same time as man walks with broken neck to hospital but also it kind of epitomizes ecw as well i feel like the fact that they like (laughs) that 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 was like so typical of ecw at the time of like someone's injured or hurt or like fucked up in some way and it's like right walk to the hospital or you get dumped on the side of the road and walk to the hospital (laughs) this is like 1994 as well and i think even this might be when it was still technically eastern championship wrestling so paul was booking it but he doesn't own it and it's still like it's still i don't think it's like quite the the dive of scum and villainy as it as it would come in like a year or two after that but yeah pretty emblematic of the the devil may care attitude of, of a lot of the wrestlers i'm not saying like fuck those wrestlers for having that attitude that's just the way it was right there yeah taz never got surgery on that broken neck what never got surgery on it. well at least he didn't get surgery before he went back to wrestling he rehabbed it loads of physical therapy kept on working on it worked hurt worked sore he was gone for like a while you know he, he he'd been injured before he'd been injured prior and the thing was that he was trying to start this more serious character you know, maybe even less of the Tasmaniac and then this neck break happens. And he's kind of, he's really upset because it's like, well, there's this idea for this new character. I got a lot of momentum. You know, ECW is doing very well for itself and I'm going to be one of the top guys and oh no, I've broken my neck. And what sucks about being in a 
independent wrestling group at the time is that he had no contract nor were there many contracts being handed out i imagine in eastern championship wrestling and here's one of the weird things you don't hear this very often paul Heyman, to his credit but when paul Heyman gave taz unconditional money on a handshake agreement for an entire calendar year after taz had been he just got married and he just broken his neck mm. paul Heyman paid him every week for like a whole year and he didn't have to wrestle or anything like that. Why didn't he get surgery on his neck? Because like I was just thinking, I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. You know, if you're not, you know, if you've got a proper contract or anything, you know, you're not hired by like a big company. Maybe you can't, you know, and you're in America, you know, neck surgery is probably really yeah. expensive. Probably 100 costs, grand or yeah, something. Yeah, 100 grand or something. So fair enough. If you can't afford to do it, you can't afford to do it. That sucks. And it's awful the way things work like that in America, but I can totally see how that can happen. But he's still being paid. But he's still being paid. Yeah. And he's being paid to do nothing. So like, I don't know, if it was me, I'd be like, well, I may as well use this money I'm being paid to get... I mean, I don't know if that's being incredibly no, naive. I th- honestly, I. it's funny you mention that because... The neck injury that he had was very similar to the neck injury that Steve Austin had and also that Edge would have. And the thing with Taz is that he had this injury, I think it would have been 94, 95 thereabouts. I think the issue was is that the surgery at the time, Taz, I think in one of the interviews I watched, he had said they had to go in like through the back of the neck and it would basically mean that the rehab and the lack of mobility he would have would would basically mean his wrestling career would, would be over or be severely limited. Whereas I believe, because Austin, if you remember as well, when Austin got his neck broken in 97, he didn't have surgery either. No, you're right, yeah. He put it off for a year and a half. But I think in the end of 99, when Austin had the surgery, I remember at the time it was like, oh, it's this pioneering new right. neck fusion surgery that he could do. that's the thing, isn't it? Like, it's so weird to think. I always think I'm quite young. Yeah. Nearly 30 years old. But I feel I'm quite young. But like, <laughs> but like, I no, feel, Joe, don't. <laughs> don't tweet in all at once. I feel like it's quite amazing how far medical advances have yeah. come just in my lifetime. And just in that five years. But yeah. I do remember that because with Taz, like the neck injury is what would cause Taz to stop his career later on. And I'm pretty sure he was offered in like 2002 or three. It was like, do you want to have the surgery? And he's like, Ah, I mean, like my career is pretty much like you know, I've I've had my ten fifteen years. You know, I'm I'm, I'm into my forties now. I'm not gonna have neck fusion surgery, yeah. so I can have a year or two. Like Austin had the surgery because he knew he could get two more really profitable years. Yeah, Edge and, managed to get like a whole run essentially out of it. You know, for yeah. 10 years, so. I think when it depends on your age and how much you're being pushed, like how much of a star you are, and also like how likely it is to. Like, I'm guessing at this point, Taz already was doing commentary to an extent and knew he could have a quite successful yeah, career exactly. doing that. Yeah, exactly, yeah, so down the line. But See, I mean, why would you? I certainly wouldn't want to go get horrible neck surgery and then go back to wrestling for two years. So, yeah, there you go. Intense rehab in it. Like, you know, I, I will never forget. I've only broken one bone in my body once. I broke my left uh, forearm quite badly because when Kevin was nine years old and was going on a school trip to an unsafe adventure park and they were making us climb up slippery rocks I fell on those slippery rocks and as I was falling my one thought was quickly take the bump like hell in the cell that'll be safe oh, so no. I, I took it like Mick Foley going up hell in the cell and I landed right on my um, forearm and I busted my, my elbow but I always remembered with that was that on that day, all the teachers are like, you're fine, it's okay, it's all yeah. right. I'm like, mm-hmm, I am, I'm fine. Like, yeah, you can move it. Yeah, I'm fine. And I spent the next, because it was like nine in the morning when that happened. We had the whole day. Like, we're not ruining the school tour just because you broke your arm, eh? All right, you're fine. And I remember that day was like probably the longest day of my life. Yeah. 
because I was had convinced myself at different points I was okay yeah. because I'd been told by grown-ups yeah, and I had the adrenaline and all that and I remember the next day being so sore and my brother called me a hardcore legend when I finally got my x-ray he's like oh yeah you broke your arm there I'm like ah Aww. I'm a hardcore legend ow but like that was one day yeah I'm still whining about it like nearly you know 20 years later yeah Um. so I kind of can't imagine and this goes for Taz and Austin how the fuck you just bite the bullet and get through a very fucked up neck injury. That's the thing as well, because like, I mean, I've not actually broken any bones. I am so privileged. <laughs> I've not broken any bones ever. I thought you said earlier you broke nearly thirty bones. Oh no, that was a different. You know, your top of years, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I assume, maybe wrongly, but I don't think I'm wrong. I think I'm right. Mm. That breaking your arm is much less sore than breaking your neck because, yeah. like, your neck is attached to everything. Because like, I've had a sore neck before. I'm I'm gonna quit having a sore neck now. Having a broken neck. Okay, I I get it, guys. I know what it's like. I'm Steve Austin, and I approve <laughs> this message. <laughs> but like, when you've got a sore neck, it hurts everywhere. Like your whole body, your arms, your legs, your feet, your back, your head. Like everything hurts. If you sneeze and you're in a neck brace, it's like literally. Like- the most horrifying yeah. thing you know because you feel all, all whereas I imagine mouth. like obviously it's going to hurt other parts of your body as well if you break your arm but like it's not connected to everything yeah. it's not connected to your spine yeah I know it's it's to think and again this is another wrestler where we're we're talking right now about you know he's not even the gimmick what the episode is named after he's still the Tasmaniac right at the start of the career ECW's not even extreme championship wrestling it's on lo- local TV it's it's my it's small scale and the guy's broken his neck and it's like nope off we go to the races, still going to do it. I don't know if that attitude exists anymore in wrestling or if it can exist. If, like, we don't ha- I mean, I know there's some pretty shitty promoters and stuff like that out there, but I don't know how many wrestlers would be queuing up to stomach through a fucking broken neck, you know? It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to imagine in this day and age. It's so hard to imagine as well because, like, I feel companies have taken on so much more responsibility for things like that now and i guess i'm talking about the They've wwe specifically yeah and screaming into providing the bare minimum of responsibility yeah, out of fear of lawsuits yeah. more than like responsibility for the safety of their workers mm. so yeah it's i don't see that really happening now yeah. because like most companies would be so scared of being like held liable that they'd be like quickly let's fix everything you're not allowed to wrestle ever again yeah but I mean, the other thing as well which i mean when we were doing the research for this, that was a thought that really struck me. It's just kind of like this beginning of a career and this this happening. You wouldn't see that these days, surely. And also that that thing there where Paul Heyman is like, handshake agreement. I know you've just been married and I'm planning on pushing you. So I'm not going to change my plans for a year. I'm going to keep paying you. And like Taz didn't do nothing at the time. He was doing you know, the graphic work and he did all the, the logo designs for all the pay. All the ECW pay per views were all logos were all designed by Taz. Wow. All of them, which is pretty amazing. They're the most 1990s thing ever. Yeah. When, when Taz discovered that purple pen, folks, let me tell you. I won't say that he's a bad designer because I feel that's very subjective. It is of the time. It's like saying Limp Bizkit are bad musicians. Come on, guys. It's literally, you're not allowed to say that. Ooh, yeah, but he's still... You're not allowed. He's still doing it, though, isn't he? I looked on his pro wrestling tea store. Oh, I see. I thought, I thought my man, the chocolate star fish Fred Durst was still at it. <laughs> <laughs> but Taz's t-shirts are not... I wouldn't wear them. No? No. 
But I don't think he'd wear your t-shirts either, Joe. From uh, so well, I mean, if that's that's fair, like you know. fine. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't want Nub City on my breast. What does that mean? I don't know. Nub City. It's got a little picture of Taz. I don't know if he's talking about himself. Is he Nub City? Is it like a reference to Suplex City? <laughs> oh God, I just I feel like we're we just poisoned the well of the How to Wrestling Twitter feed for the rest of of time now. That, like. <laughs> As I've learned from the long road of experience, never ask any questions about anything ever on podcasts. Yeah. So Taz, during this time, the thing that he is doing is he's doing a little bit of commentary on some of the shows. But what they've done is they've, they're using his shoot name. They're not saying it's just Taz on commentary because Taz is the Tasmaniac. Never spoke. He never did promos. Okay. He, he he didn't have the confidence he felt. He didn't have that in him. So he didn't feel like it was necessary for the character to do, but it was one of those cases I think he picked a character where he wouldn't have to speak, if you know what I mean. Oh, he needs to join student radio. <laughs> so at one point during all of this, Taz rings up Paul Heyman, and Taz is a bit upset. And Paul's like, Taz, what's wrong? And he's like, Paulie, I'm so fucking pissed off. None of the boys give a shit about me. No one's written me no cards. I ain't got no letters. None of these fans give two shits about me. No one cares. I'm sitting at home and no one cares about me. And then I've got a broken... And he's cutting this promo on Paulie. Telling him, oh, everyone's out to get me. No one loves me. What about Taz? Like, he's really pissed off. And you know what? You would be. You yeah, know. fucking hell. You would be. And Paul goes, you know what? That's your that's your promo right there when you come back. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, that's your promo right there. That's the character. That's how we'll do it. And so when Taz comes back, like they do a big reveal where it's like, the man on commentary tonight, you may know him. He's, he was once known as a Taz mate, but he's now known as Taz. And there's Taz looking all cool. And it's like, oh, wow, Taz, he's a he's Did he a come badass. out in towel? He didn't have the towel. No, he's just like wearing his normal street clothes or whatever. But then later on, it transpires when Taz comes out to cut his big return promo. He's like, can I just say, all you fans and all the people in the back, fuck all of you. None of you gave me any attention when I was gone. You're all pieces of shit. I, don't, I hate you all so much. And the only person who looked after me during all this time, and this is the only thing they changed for the kayfabe, was they said that Bill Alfonso, the heel referee manager, he was the only, he was the guy who was giving Taz money during this time. So now this Bill Alfonso, this Why creep manager. Why was he giving him money? Uh, this is, I love this kayfabe. He was giving him money because Bill Alfonso knew that Taz was such a badass that when he came back, he could bet all of his money on Taz and, you know, Taz would beat whoever he wanted to. So, Fonzie would make a bit of money on the side. Okay. Know, on doing bets and all that. Right. And like, I don't know if you remember Bill Alfonso, the little referee guy from a previous episode. He would have showed up in our Taipei death match with the fists of glass, if you recall. Was he the referee in that match? Yeah, he was the guy who tried to stop it because of excessive blood loss after <laughs> the first blow was thrown. So... Like, you get Taz and everyone wants to see him come back and you put him with, like, the anti-hardcore, anti-ECW, horrible referee manager. And now Taz, his whole thing is, yeah, I'm a total legit badass. I don't need to use a weapon like anyone else because my hands are weapons. And he would just choke people out using his judo. Now, you had a pop at judo when we were watching. Oh, don't. Oh, no, I knew this was going to happen. Now, Taz has got extensive judo background, and that is uh, replicated in his moveset. A lot of throws, a lot of takedowns, a lot of grappling, and the katahajime, the Taz mission, the chokeholds. Uh, now, you, you were having a pop at judo then. What was that all about? I did judo for six weeks when I was seven. I don't know why I expected you to say years after you said number six. <laughs> I've been a judo artist for six years. I 
Tigchido is fine, but it's it's not what I expected Taz to be doing. Is it fair to say in your six weeks you didn't get to the level that Taz perhaps did in his judo career? But like, I don't... <sighs> judo is self-defense. Yeah. It's not like martial... I mean, I know it's a martial art, but it's not yeah. like... It's not an aggressive martial art. It's a defensive it's not, thing. It's, it's entirely defensive. Yeah. Like, I still remember like three judo moves and they are great for self-defense what, what were your judo moves you remember Jimmy's do one uh, what, T-bone Joe Plex yeah uh, trap arm and neck Joe Plex yeah Joe Mission yeah also known as the Katahajime yeah, yeah. you gonna give you gonna give me a move yeah I'll do a move yeah where do we need to go over there okay whoop need to stretch my legs anyway I, I like that we do this now in, in, in episode we just go and do a move yeah Okay, so face me. Yeah. And then I'm going to step forwards. And I'm Are you going to step forward with your left bloody foot? I'm going to step forward with my right foot. <laughs> okay. Right. And what's your other move then? Show me, show me some other ones. No, hey, those fine. are my eggs. What the? Whoa! <laughs> okay, Taz never. So what Joe just did there was she grabbed my hand and then spun around <laughs> to uh, reveal her own hand essentially. Thus de-escalating the danger immediately. I'm quite impressed by that, Joe. Thank you. Um, so, okay, Joe is judo master. What <laughs> my two moves? Judo Joe Graham. <laughs> what a name for a wrestler, huh? Judo Joe Graham. I gotta say, those two judo moves were great in primary school, oh, yeah? in the playground, because there were a couple of older boys that would try and grab us. And can I just say as well, legitimately, the Taz mission, Kata Hajime, also great in, in the Really? Play. I used that in, in one of my only fights I ever had in school. Wow. Uh, the old Kata Hajime, man. Let me tell you, if you get the high advantage, they've got no chance. But Taz still managed to make it a scary-ass move. <laughs> what do you think of the old the old Choco? Like, it's a proper nasty-looking thing, I always thought. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah? Oh, I just... Now that's the you you had said to me like oh the style no big thing of the style this this new Taz that comes back this is now where you've got he's got all suplexes it's chokeholds real nasty almost like MMA inspired and he was one of the first people to do that mm. but you were saying that's not necessarily your cup of tea is it no I just feel like I feel like I've seen a lot of that style and I'm I don't really like it. The hybrid type of a thing. Yeah, it's just not for me. I don't I don't really like MMA. More I don't like when D Bryan, Daniel Bryan would bust out a little bit of the old MMA here and there, you know. A little bit here and there, yeah. For pacing I, I like it. But the whole style, like mm. Brock Lesnar style matches, I'm not into. Yeah. And I feel like you know, some submission moves I quite like, but again, I don't like an entirely submissive move set. Like, I like Samoa Joe doing the occasional sleeper hold yeah. as his finisher because it's really scary. But yeah, I don't really like the style, which is just like, you know, suplex, suplex, suplex. It's kick, kind of punch, kick, yeah. punch, suplex. But like, I think now we are in this time, like, you know, you point it, you see that a lot. Like, you know, I, I could probably pick any random member of the roster and chances are they've got at least one or two like little Muay Thai yeah. moves that they've, or some jujitsu thing that they've found or, you know, some some throw that they've seen from some video game that has its origins in, you know, in, in actual MMA or grappling of some sort. I mean, that's quite common now. I think for 1995 and 1996 when Taz first started doing this, and this is when UFC would have only been running for a year or two at that point anyway. So, like, if you were remotely into that, to see this replicated in wrestling, I think it was probably, like, quite a huge deal. Yeah, and know? maybe maybe if I was more into MMA, yeah. I would appreciate it more, but I just don't like 
I really don't like MMA. I've mm. had friends who are into MMA who yeah. tried to get me into it. When they found out I was into wrestling, they were like, oh, you should watch MMA. It's like wrestling, but real. <laughs> and that was like a surefire way to... I hate it. that wrestling's not real. You know, I hate it so much. Gen- genuinely, my favourite thing about wrestling is that it's it's not real. I know. I, I hate... So I know, I hate real <laughs> violence. I'm not a violent person. I'm not saying everyone who likes MMA is, but like, I really don't care for but violence. But the fact it being real being like some sort of like, oh, that, that, it's Makes it better. way better. Yeah. Like, no, that that makes it worse for me. I don't like knowing that it really hurts. No, I don't like to simulate violence. What it is is I actually like violence and it happens to other people for real. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've been drawn into MMA a number of times. Yeah. Like, for brief little stints here and there. And it's always been big, larger-than-life names that have just been, like, cults of personality. Like, you know, Bass Rutten and stuff. You know, people like their Dan Severn, Brock Lesnar. You know, I, I watched Brock in UFC when he was in UFC, absolutely. Or, you know, Big Country, Roy Nelson. Just silly names that were had a draw. There wasn't that glamour, I don't think. Because I think a lot of that stuff that I like from MMA, they took from wrestling. Yeah. You know, the presentation, the, the head-to-head. Two guys talking about how much they fucking hate each other and how they're going to embarrass them. You know, the, the, the video packages, all that. You know, the, the big in-ring introductions. That's all wrestling, you know. Yeah, Whereas he's taken... The less glamorous stuff from MMA and bringing it into wrestling. And I just the nuts feel and bolts of it. like MMA is just like it's just wrestling with less showmanship. Like it just it it's, <laughs> it it hurts way more, and it looks like it hurts way less. Yeah. Like, why would I want to see that? It's not as entertaining for me as like fictional fights. So, would you say then that Taz's style lacks a bit of showmanship? Is that but what definitely? You're... Yeah, and I know he. We watched uh, the interview that he did in the Art of Wrestling with Colt Cabana, and he was like, "Yeah, they got me to do this thing where I had to sell, and it's like, why would you do that? I'm really bad at selling." And I just like I couldn't stop laughing at that because like. The idea that you can be bad at selling. I mean, uh, from, from the notes from the matches we have, I, w- I would say that was a recurring thing that I have. It's not about being... <laughs> you can't just be bad at selling. You choose to you be choose bad. You choose to, exactly. It's just, it's just trying. Oh, Goldberg just happens to be bad at selling. He'd love to do it, guys. <laughs> he would he love to, yeah. Like... Same with Brock Lesnar. Like, he's actually, like, he, he could be the best seller ever, but mm. he's just... Okay. He's not got that DNA. I feel I have to counter you, because I think you have a very valid point there for, like, a new newer fan who who's going back and watching this and something that would have maybe spectacular to me in you know the 90s or the 2000s obviously doesn't have that same allure now. And I think definitely on how to, there's times where we look at something from the past and you kind of go, okay, you can appreciate that for what it was at the time. But there are many things that transcend the time where they are. Mm. I don't know if this necessarily does, but I can tell you for a fact, when I was a kid playing wrestling games, and I go, you know, I grew up on a roster of like Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, and The Rock, where, you know, 99% of the moves I was going to see were going to be either their finisher or a right hand of some sort. Right. So I'd play these creator wrestler modes, and I'd be there for hours going through all half Nelson suplex, T bone suplex, fisherman suplex, catching arm suplex, like all of these amazing throws. But you're just saying suplex I over know. and over again. These are these are all these really cool looking moves I would never see on TV. I just see them in the video game and I give them to all my wrestlers. My brother would give them to all his wrestlers. Look at all our cool wrestlers and all these cool moves. And then you finally tune in and watch a bit of ECW or whatever. And it turns out there's this fucker who's doing all these cool moves. Now, I don't think I can impart onto you my nine-year-old fascination with different types of suplexes to no. you now. But I think, I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of us growing up would have been really impressed to see someone with a much deeper move list but than the average. That. And yet I swear, when we were watching these matches, 
I was at one point you you I think I annoyed you quite a lot because I just started like making button mashing noises and every time he punched I went A and every time he kicked I went B and every time he did a suplex I went triangle and every time he did an Irish whip I went square what controller is that? I don't know <laughs> made up one I'm a gamer Kevin I'm a gamer yeah you wouldn't understand you wouldn't understand <laughs> but yeah I, I, I accept that I think it's I don't think we've come across a wrestler who I kind of feel like I have to throw my hands up and say, like, you can't see why I thought he was special back then. Like, do you think part of it is that I still, I know we talk about this a lot in our early episodes, that I don't, I don't know wrestling moves. And I still don't, you know, I'm six, four, five years into this podcast now, I still don't know wrestling moves. A suplex is a suplex is a suplex. I can't tell them apart. But... So is that why I don't get Taz? Because, like, I see him do 12 different types of suplexes and to me they all look the same? I think you can make the argument, you know, suplexes looking the same or whatever. But, I mean, like, there's the impressiveness of seeing someone the size of Taz suplexing a man much, much greater size than him. But I see that all the time. Now? Yeah. Then, you never saw that. Like. you, I you see that see... all the time now. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's it's hard to be this like innovator of the time, but like you, like you didn't see suplexes in like nineteen ninety nine. You didn't <laughs> see so, suplexes. It's exactly like talking to my parents about old horror movies. Like you just didn't see in those days. You just didn't see blood. It was just you didn't have it. it. Was, yeah, this thing that's ubiquitous now. But like to to actually sit here and say to you that like when Taz went to like WWE, he had to fight to be able to do any of his moves and yeah. he did because like they were like oh i've never seen that before we're not doing that and like for me like if i see different moves in wrestling that 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 for me is like seeing different ingredients on a plate when i'm eating food you know i don't want to see the same i don't want to be given 10 dishes that are all the same i want to see all different things different moves different styles and so if i could see just things that are new and different that's just fucking exciting you know yeah. and i kind of i don't know if many people are making the inroads that Taz would have done at the time because another huge thing that Taz did in taking something from MMA and bringing it into wrestling is the concept of tapping out. Right. Which is something we didn't see in in wrestling up until this point. That was something from MMA where normally in wrestling you nodded or you said, yes, I quit or whatever, we give which up. so stupid. I hate that. How many, uh, the old Bret Hart episode, I, I think when we did all the matches, you were like, wait, what happened there? Because Mr. Perfect was in a sharpshooter and then he disagreed with something and then the match is over. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, tapping out, like, that's such an integral thing these days. But I, I love the whole tapping out thing because I think the whole I quit makes, like, saying I quit makes you look really weak. Mm. And in wrestling, I think that's really bad. And I think Vince has always had that bugbear about submission victories and losses in wrestling because in his head, he still has this, like, tapping out equates to, hello, I'm a wrestler here to tell you that I'm weak. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't think, think tapping that's... out is badass. Like tapping yeah. out is like I'm dying, I'm running out of breath. I, if I don't tap right now, I'm going to lose consciousness and I'm going to lose anyway. So this is me saying I'm throwing in the towel. I, yeah, I have to stop. I I love the tap out in wrestling. Yeah, think about like the hand coming close down, yeah. and almost tapping, you know, but not. You know, like there's so much of the drama of wrestling that because we have a one thing we have a lot of now we can say is a lot more submission wrestling than we yeah. did back in those days and. There's certainly anything that adds drama to wrestling, I love. Here's a question, though. Why do you think that Taz was the one, and why was it his move that you had to tap out with when this post to saying, I quit? Why Why was it that? Okay, so I actually know this. Oh, yeah? And I know the reason why. Mm-hmm. It's because in the Taz mission, he gets his ha- arm around up under your arm and then around their face. Yeah. So, like, their arm is sticking up in the air and their face is covered. Yeah. 
So they can't say, I quit. And you can't like shake your head or you not either because your, head your head's, your head's yeah. yeah, your head's like kind of pinned back. Joe just put herself in the Kata Hajime there. So more 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 moves on display from Judo Joe Graham here. Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a partner at all. I can do this transmission myself. <laughs> so yeah, so you'd have to tap because there's no other way to indicate that you'd given up. So we get Taz now in ECW who is just tears through the entire roster. They do like pretty much squash matches with Taz like they put him against you know big monsters and he'd like tap him out in two seconds you know they put in like legit in inverted commas like MMA competitors who didn't actually know how to work when they come in they'd take like one suplex and then Taz would choke him out like it was this thing that this small guy was able to take down anyone of any size and that's something that you know that Paul Heyman loves is the mm. story of a small guy beating a monster through technique as opposed to like strength and whatnot. Right. So that was his thing. I'm going to choke you out. He would have the new look, which was just the plain singlet, the towel draped over the head. Was the towel always ratty? Yes. Towel always had that kind of like scraggly bit to it. How did he make it look like that? I, I mean, I would imagine that you would take a knife to it or some sharp scissors or something like that. <laughs> now, like from the get go, when we were doing the artwork with Dan, the first thing I did was I just got a bunch of Taz promos with the towel and I sent them on. I was like, I don't care kind of what you guys do with the artwork, but I feel the towel is very important here. A lot of love for this artwork, I should say, as, as yeah, a result. Yeah, it's great. The towel and also the towel promos. Mm. Can you describe like your experiences with that so far? They're very impressive. Yeah. He's very good at cutting promos. They're not my bag, but he's very good. He's very serious. Um, he's quite intimidating. He manages to come up the perfect distance to the camera. Like he talks right into the camera and he's got the towel on his head and you can just sort of see a glint in his eyes and his eyes yeah. are like black. So kind of sexy. Like, oh, definitely sexy. Yeah. yeah, he is a hunk. Oh yeah? For sure. Okay, good to know. Yeah. But I just, it's all very intense and very kind of... <sighs> Does a wrestler have to have levity for you? I think, I think maybe for me, yeah. I'm trying to think of a wrestler I, I don't. Because I was gonna say Bret Hart is someone who's notorious for a lack of levity, but I almost feel like that in of itself is, and also yeah. provides a bit of levity. Yeah, that Bret was this kind of straight man, the, the Graham Chapman of the group. Like, also, you know? I think Bret Hart doing that song, <laughs> never the right time to say goodbye. Sabu, this Sunday. There's never been a right time to say goodbye. <laughs> I think of all the times I could have said it. Instead, I'm going to choke you out. <laughs> I, I used to ring up Adam Bibolo and I would, I would Taz prank call him. I'd ring him up and I'd say, Adam Bibolo, I'm going to choke you out. See what's 7 p.m. And that's when he'd know that I'd be back at the house later. Right. We'd use it as a kind of a brief Why? messaging thing. Why Taz? Because I thought it was the funniest thing in the world at the time. I think I went through a lot of periods of being obsessed with Taz. Yeah. Um, and doing the Adair podcast definitely brought out another kind of level of obsession with Taz. Yeah. These promos are something that I always just I was enamored by. Like I was so like someone who one million percent believes every word coming out of his mouth. Like, what's the ECW backstage environment from your understanding from Smelly. previous episodes? <laughs> is though smelly you've got the smell man you've got rob van smell you've got tommy smelly you've got <laughs> stinky sticky sticky i mean what's going on there why they're not just sitting around being smelly right? <laughs> aren't they they're not just eating sandwiches they're not playing cards back there I mean, come on ecw what was going on there i don't know blading cutting themselves i 
Oh, okay. Oh. Lots and lots and lots of drugs. And sweet Jesus, thank God no one's ever going to see the mime I had to do. Yeah. <laughs> prom. But Taz didn't do that. Taz isn't a partier. He kept to himself. Yeah. He He's the opposite of Sandman. He's, Where Sandman yeah. would party hard and be one of the boys, Taz was a loner. He would find a room on his own. And he would go into that room, and chances are, apparently, according to most, like I found a lot of shoots about Taz. Right. A lot of shoots about Taz, but very few from Taz. From Taz, I mean, which I honestly, that makes me like him a lot more. He understands the value of it. He's because he, like, he was asked about it point blank in one of the interviews I did find. It's like, why don't you do shoots and all that? It's like, bro, I got like five days of live radio. Wow. We, you know, I, I got to do that like I'm not giving it away for free he doesn't do like conventions and stuff like that mostly mm-hmm. for the same reason because he realises that he thinks it'll take away his brand if he can show up to every indie show to do a signing or whatnot. Right. it's better for him to keep that kind of behind closed doors and just keep it on his, his podcast and all right, that yeah, yeah. but yeah he would not be gregarious at all he would isolate himself a lot of people would talk about how like really liked the character he was he was this miserable bastard he didn't like the people in the back when you have those ECW roundtables on the WWE Network, it oftentimes is a little bit awkward when Taz is there because people don't have great fun war stories of hanging out with Taz. Honestly, that makes me like him so much more. I don't don't know why that is. I just I think I just there's a part of me that loves a miserable workhorse like yeah. Bret Hart, like Taz, like but Bret just, is like organizing like people to go on like a bus tour of the Colosseum in Rome, and I Taz know, is like, no, that's my chair. I'm piece sitting. Of shit, isn't he? I I, lo- I just love it when wrestlers are like anti-social and not one of the boys i think it's so funny because it's so easy in wrestling to be like genuinely it's so much harder not to be one of the boys yeah it is it's true than to be one of the boys like that's easy mode yeah. going out partying taking drugs cheating on your wife like actually staying in and working hard and he, he is he's, he's married to his high school sweetheart as well that's, that's something that should cute. be pointed out you that's know very nice uh, and you know they went home together and all that so i think he didn't want to and a lot of the extracurricular stuff in ecw you want to stay away from but we've talked a lot about Vince McMahon particularly, the, the head man from WWE slash WWF, about his kind of, his enjoyment, or not his enjoyment, but his realisation that the real life interpersonal differences between the wrestlers can oftentimes make for very fascinating television. And he will be very, very keen to make sure that, you know, whether it's John Cena and The Rock or if it's Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels or Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan, He'll maybe put them at odds just enough and stir the pot just enough to make sure that he'll get a really great show out of it. And also the wrestlers might be a little bit upset by the, the, the stuff that goes down in between. How do you think about Taz being kind of in this permanent state of misery? Is that Paul Heyman and the careful booking to make sure he's always looking over his shoulder? Like, How do you view Taz kind of being like this all the time? Despite the fact that he is the top guy, unquestionably, in ECW. Well, undoubtedly, it got some really good promos out of him. Because yeah. like, that's one thing that like was very evident in the tweets, is people loved his really intense, hard-hitting promos. I don't think you can have a career as a commentator and a podcast host and stuff like that if you didn't originally have, you know, in, in wrestling, that ability. Yeah, yeah, good promos. So, obviously... If if Paul Heyman was whispering in his ear, kind of encouraging him almost to go down this mind hole, it got some great promos out of him. Don't know if it made him a happier person. I can just imagine him saying to people, though, don't go in there, Taz is in there. He'd be mad. Yeah. 
You know, Taz, like, how come no one's coming to visit me? <laughs> I know, this feels really bad. You I know, that, that type of thing really, yeah. I was proud of my mind. I've never thought about it before because, you know, you're always growing up as a wrestling fan in the 90s. You're like, Vince McMahon, he's a manipulator and he's the devil. And like, Paul Heyman's cool. Mm, <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, it's yeah. a little bit greater. It just, we're coming to our first match here. And it's a match which I didn't pick because it's my favourite match in the world. It's a match I picked because it's historically significant. And it was one where I think the style of booking Taz was more evident than anywhere else. This is from ECW's first ever pay-per-view in 1997. Barely legal. The headlining match, or at least the match that was promoted the most heavily, is Taz finally taking on Sabu. And since Taz's return, he'd been constantly calling Sabu out and always demanding Sabu would come out and fight him. And Taz would talk at length and Sabu never spoke. That was his thing. He never spoke. They would do things like the lights would go out and you'd see Taz stood there with his arms folded and Sabu in the corner pointing over and the lights would go out again. That's all you get to see. Ooh! Like, Paul Heyman knows how to build anticipation for a match. Mm. But this match was also kind of it didn't happen for years because for a year Sabu was saying I don't want to put Taz over I don't want to work with him because they were at odds with each other they hated each other a lot and I don't know if I'll ever enjoy watching wrestling where the people legitimately hate the fuck out of each other it makes me uncomfortable I mean I think there's a sense of it being done well and instances of it being done badly Mm. like Brett and Sean Surely that's undeniably great wrestling. Yeah, it is. You know, like, absolutely. It's obviously horribly unethical. I feel absolutely terrible for everyone involved. I think Vince is a piece of shit for doing it, but my God, it made a very interesting it's like, angle. It's like eating foie gras. It's like, yeah. this, this is delicious, but I feel dirty, immoral, yeah. wrong. I've been cheated. This is just wrong. And like, yeah. everyone involved in this process and transaction should feel bad about themselves. <laughs> but right also, now. it's great. But, oh my God, though, right? <laughs> so I feel, yeah, I feel really bad because like, obviously that's terrible. But then there's other times when it's just, just, just bad. Like yeah. Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar, where they just didn't give a shit and they both hate each other and refused to put each other over and they just didn't put on a match at all because they just hated each other so much. Well, you got Sabu here who is convinced that Taz is trying to piggyback off of his international success. Right. Because Sabu's been all over the world and made a name for himself in Japan and Europe and now here in ECW and he's the innovator and he's done so much. And he's feeling like, oh, this Taz guy, this Johnny Come Lately, come along. He wants to get my heat, my my fandom. And Taz is here thinking, I've been here in ECW since day one. And I broke my neck for this company. They've been here for me. I've been there for them. And this guy, Sabu, he won't even commit to the company. He's going all over the world. You know, no show in half the time. And, like, the reality of it is, is that you got someone who's very, very insecure in Taz. And Sabu, who's also incredibly insecure. So insecure that he works hurt, like, all the time. Because oh. he just want to say, hey, I'm, I'm fucking hurt. Uh, the, the pretty much the montage at the start of this that they show us from Paul Heyman it's like you know Taz saying I hate you you hate me let's have a wrestling match yeah I remember being very psyched up from watching the DVD and the documentary about like how much I was going to love this match when I finally got to sink my teeth into it and I can't help but say this you know without spoiling your opinions on it mm. I feel that this is one of the matches that disappointed me the most in the history of watching wrestling wow because I love both men a lot. Yeah. And I kind of have to keep a lid on how much I love Sabu right now because I feel that's a whole other episode, obviously. Yeah. But like, what vibe did you get from watching these two men wrestle? Just that they didn't really want to be there. Yeah, right? It wasn't fun. Like, I didn't feel... Like, I feel like Vince 
for all his faults, and I'm not saying this is a good thing necessarily, it's certainly not an ethical thing, but Vince has this power to like get two people who hate each other and like like tease them yeah. into like wanting to have this like match and get their hands on each other. Bet you can't have a great match, yeah. Matt Hardy. Oh yeah, <laughs> show, show him up. Show him what you can do. That'll really put him in his place. Yeah. Whereas I feel like this match, neither of them... I mean, Sabu does some cool moves but i feel like other than that there's not much that really happens did you get a sense of a lack of cooperation <laughs> definitely we watched a little interview with sabu afterwards because it kind of felt like we had heard taz bury sabu so much that i just had to get like a word or two in there and like sabu described the match he's like it was a pain in the ass to work with him and so like, why is that sabu was like Every- everything i did he took personally like every time i tried to do a wrestling move he thought i was trying to like not just hit him for real would like attack the concept of him and his wrestling Aww. like when sabu like gets out of a wrestling hold and then you know switches into a headlock you're that's taz's gimmick what are you doing you're the guy who does the flippy dip things come on now you know oh, see i just don't oh. i feel like bret hart when we did the episode on him everyone was like well not everyone but like a lot of people were like oh he takes himself so seriously i hate bret hart because he's like Oh, he can't take a joke and he loves himself so much and this, that and the other. I feel like all of that criticism would be much more fairly pointed at Taz. I'd say Taz and you know what? A lot of the people from ECW as well. Because I think, you know, that clip we watched with Sabu, he was like, hey, he, you know, he had a lack of confidence about himself at the time, as did I, as did most people on the roster. Like most people who were in ECW you know, the Island of the Misfit Toys, they've been told no a couple of times at least. And if they finally feel like they're being successful, oh my God, this is where they can do it. They're going to be terrified that they're going to lose it. We see paranoia like that even in the WWF with the likes of Steve Austin, who was notably paranoid his entire run on top yeah. of the universe. There is, seems to be a lot of things that people who are never happy seem to succeed quite well in wrestling. Mm. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that certainly gives you the drive if you're never satisfied. Yeah, I think it's the type of industry where there's no like top place. There's no throne to sit on at the end where yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm done. I've done everything. I'm happy and successful. Because it's like a constant battle to be yeah. relevant and fresh and modern and loved by the crowds. Well, that's why we're here, folks. At the grudge match of the century, which has a promo leading up to it with my favourite line of all time, Sabu I'ma bust you up so bad. Yes, I'm here for people to be busted up. If I were you, I wouldn't be. Oh, baby. That's a good one. That is, that's, that's like a Regina George yeah. level of a burn of a put down right there. If I were you, I wouldn't be. Oh, man. Because you can look, but you can't touch. <laughs> Taz coming out with the big entourage. Yeah, he's got Billy Bob Thornton. Bring it's a t- Bill Alfonso. Taz hat. Wow, Billy Bob Thornton, a legit heartthrob, isn't he? Is he? I thought he was considered to be a heartthrob. Mm, I don't know. But Bill Alfonso was generally not considered to be a heartthrob. Oh, really? But the big entourage, something I'm a big fan of, is something we see a lot of in wrestling now. And again, another thing from from MMA, having the training team who's there with you. Oh, that's an MMA thing, is it? Yeah. Huh. The idea that Taz's team, he'd have a training camp and sparring partners and stuff to get better at wrestling it's you know we see that in AEW all the time right? yeah. everyone's got a little team and a little group and you know the little camp you know even if that camp is just Cody Rhodes and Aaron Anderson in their big kitchen you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was very excited to hear Sabu's entrance music but Sabu just immediately appears like a jump cut so um, yeah. yeah the Taz pose Joe can you describe its uh, impact on one's confidence he looks like an angry genie <laughs> I like 
I've pointed out to me like very few times across life that the man with the arms folded in a room is generally an upset man. You know, like if you point out when someone's like, you're being a bit defensive right now and then their arms are folded. <laughs> you know, I say this as both of us very often do fold our arms while I've around. I've literally got my arms folded right now. But that's just to stop us from running afoul of any cables or anything like that. Yeah, that's true. I don't want to like hit the microphone. You, before we do our live shows, you've gotten us to do power poses. Is Taz's pose like this? Can you explain the power pose? His lower half is a power pose. His upper half is not. Okay, so what is He would probably pose? feel a lot better in himself if he put his hands behind his head. Head. Okay. But standing with your legs spread is a good power pose. Mm. But then you want to have your hands on your hips or your hands behind your head. Anything that takes up lots of space. Okay. The more space you take up, the more confident you will feel. The more power your pose will have. Yeah, it's why man spreading is such a thing. No, I see. God. It's a power pose. It is. In in a horrible way, it is. Taz goes for the Taz mission very often and early in this match, and it's hard to know whether or not Taz wants to do it for real, which I guess is good, but something that was very notable about this, and I feel like if I'm poo-pooing a match that is definitely, like, beloved mm. by the ECW faithful, the crowd in attendance for the first ever ECW pay-per-view for the in the ECW arena... And this is at the end of like a really, like the middle of a really big show where everyone's very excited. And this is a match you've been teased for over a year. They're not very noisy. No, it's true. They're quite quiet. They are a little bit hush at times. And it does make it a little bit awkward. Something I feel like might summarize a lot of the issue that you have with Chaz's style are those cross face punches he does to Sabu. The ones where he grabs his face and punches him from behind. They it's make so no shit. noise. Yeah. They look really weird. Yeah. And then afterwards, Sabu is, well, he did get bust up bad as Taz promised that he would. Yeah, his... We don't like Taz's punches. They look... They look terrible. It's it's the worst of both worlds, isn't it? It yeah. looks bad and like Sabu looked so sore. And that's like my issue with MMA generally. Is it just it looks shit... And it's really sore and dangerous. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who would see that, though, right? And they would see that and they kind of go, they're fighting for real. And like, I think that is, that's like a large part of like, of what the, the mystique was, is that these two guys, they hate each other so much. They're going to fight for real. Just and watch like, MMA then. To, but you couldn't, I guess this is the thing at the time is that MMA didn't have a big enough audience that that was like a viable thing. I think people wanted to see their wrestling be a little bit more physical and bloody. So seeing this... But like, I feel like if you looked at the styles of like people like Mick Foley or Terry Funk, you can get your blood and guts and it maybe look a little... It just This just reminded me of like guys hitting each other in schoolyard fights yeah. and stuff where it's like, yeah. he, he, God, he's bleeding so much, he barely touched him. Like, what the fuck happens? Like, well, he just swiped him with his paw across his nose and now his face is smeared across his face. It's, uh, I mean, it says a lot about how I feel they may have done a bad job. One of the main takeaways from this episode in this match was how much you liked Sabu. Honestly. Because <laughs> you were going... Oh! Every time Sabu got hurt, Joe went aww. And every time Sabu did literally anything, you went, ooh! Yeah, Sabu is cool. I like Sabu. I feel really bad saying this on a Taz episode. But there's a shoot clip we watched as well where Sabu was shooting on Taz and he was like, and yeah, Taz was like, yeah, fuck you, Sabu. And yeah, fuck me. <laughs> fuck Sabu. Fuck Sabu. And honestly, I love him so much for saying that. <laughs> he was quick and to the point. Like, yeah, yeah fuck me. Like, fuck you know. me. Not too many wrestlers would have the wherewithal to say yeah. fuck me. Like, you know. So, yeah, I mean, Sabu's moves. I mean, he's someone we'll do an episode on, obviously. I mean, were you, were you impressed by like, and we've seen him a little bit before here and there. Do you like the springboards? He's another innovator, I guess. You know, something we see a lot of these days as well is the springboards and stuff. Yeah, I really liked the stuff he was doing with chairs. He was so quick. 
Like, even though using chairs to leap off ropes and stuff is something that happens quite a lot in wrestling yeah. these days. Like, it was he was so quick and confident. Yeah. That it was... Like, even when yeah. he was doing it wrong, he was confident. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he actually fucks up quite a lot. He, he botches a few moves. It's really scary. But he just, like, does it again. They have the brawl through the crowd, which is, you know, I think a, a big cop-out for the, 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 the watching audience at home. But... Like we reached a point in the match where I, I actually rewinded to show you, and I very rarely will do rewinds uh, in when we're watching things because I kind of feel like we want to just watch the match as is. But there was like a point where they threw like four or five punches, and I hate to be this wrestling fan. It's like they threw four or five punches and they didn't make contact. But like Sabu literally tried to punch Taz three or four times, and Taz is just like, no, 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 you're, you're not hitting me, no. Like, do you ever play guns or like, do you ever play? any game as a kid where it's like tag or like you know it's like warriors versus wizards or whatever the fuck it is like no no you didn't get me like that no one wants to play with that kid yeah i hate that and you know it's just as bad because then taz goes back to him he's like well i'm not selling for you then so now we have two men who have hurt each other who are now negotiating whether or not to simulate hurting each other in the middle of the match yeah i don't like it I don't like it. Toxic masculinity. The wrestling match. <laughs> does Taz have a tattoo on his arm that says Gaz? Pretty no, sure he does. It says Taz. Mm. And we, we actually Go have... to Google, listeners. Yeah, we go did. go to Google. And... Search Taz tattoo Gaz and you'll see it definitely says Gaz. Okay, well someone obviously didn't do a calligraphy module then in school like I did, because that, my friends, is a very fancy medieval tea. You know, that's that's all that is, Joe. It's a fancy medieval tea that looks sure. that looks like a capital G and kind of like a harp as well. <laughs> a lute. <laughs> we also have a very noisy mat. It's yeah. very distracting. It's bouncy. It's noisy. It makes a kind of clanking sound. You don't like that? No, not really. It's the signature ECW mat where they would mic it up really on twice as much as the WWE really? or WCW ones. They also make it springier as well. The idea is that the ECW mat, literally as you're walking across, you hear like a because it was like the it was like a almost like a, like a bouncy castle, but there was a lot of spring there, a lot more give than some of the other mats. I don't like that it reminds me of being at badly attended wrestling shows when you can then hear the match. <laughs> yeah, too well. every little bit, yeah. of every squeak of of the canvas. I mean, there are legitimate moments in some of the Taz matches, like because we watched some other Taz matches, like not for notes, just to get a sense of watching him and Tajiri. And like watching those two like throw each other around the ring, it sounds like a gun is going off when Taz does some suplexes. I've always loved it, but it's one of those things that like don't point out to me how silly it is while I'm watching it because I know it is very silly, but I like that it sounds like there's cannons being fired at dawn. Yeah. You know, Taz is going to do multiple suplexes. Cannons to the left! <laughs> cannons to the right! You know, not, not so easy as much these days. No. You like the springiness or do you... No. I thought you were an advocate for safety over everything. Oh, is it safe? I'm assuming it's bouncier. I assumed it was less safe. I know we have a lot of wrestlers who listen to this show. And I would, I mean, very often I kind of get these little questions like that pop up and I kind of like, I don't want to, I don't want to get a non-wrestling <laughs> attempt to answer them. But genuinely, I'd love to know, like, what type of mat is most fun to work out on? Like, is, is like a springy loud mat like this? Is that more fun than like a stiff one? Or like a, because you know, people have worked boxing rings and stuff like that, which are meant to be like just... Like concrete. So yeah, I'd love to know, like, is this springy, bouncy mat like being on a bouncy castle full of cannons? Tweet in. in. Yeah, let us know. (laughs) 
Sabu set up like a table between the apron and the guardrail as well at one point, and like he tries to do a run, a dive off the chair, and then go onto the ropes, and then grab Taz and DDT him, and it doesn't quite work. And you can tell that Taz is kind of mad at him when he does the DDT Aww. eventually, and it's really dangerous. Like Sabu lands on the back of his head so much in this match. Yeah. Very often it's. I don't know if I'd say Taz is an unsafe worker, but yet he is... The palpable hatred he has for Sabu makes for an unsafe working environment. I am... You know what? I'm at the point now where I think I'm just going to refuse to talk about who is unsafe because I just don't know. Don't I, know. I, I genuinely... Yeah. I am not How qualified. Yeah. I, I, it would be so ignorant of me to even assume anything about that. I've literally never done any wrestling not even close to wrestling I know, always, nothing I know nothing about it at all there's all these random times we hear but like certain wrestlers like oh yeah they're very stiff like really? I don't know <laughs> like when I'm reading Mick Foley's book where he's like it, you know, it, it hit me harder than a Steve Austin comeback punch I'm like Steve Austin is stiff? <laughs> he does nothing but punch oh my god <laughs> that's horrible this is the most poetic thing that I managed to come up with during this match this match is the marriage of both the ugliest and prettiest parts of wrestling together. How so? Because real life drama, you know, a basic story about two people who just hate each other and one guy wants to be the best over no matter what. The desperation of that very human and very relatable struggle being told physically through two men's bodies. That is art, the most artistic wrestling can ever aspire to be, I think. And then the ugliest stuff, well, two guys hitting each other sort of for real, and then other times deciding not to hit each other and not sell it. Like, mm. It's these two very jarring different things happening at once. It was around this time that I started trying not to fall asleep. There's a common Aww. theme when we were watching these Taz matches and things Yeah, that I kept falling asleep. We started watching Taz matches two days ago, mm. and we watched one, and then I was like, I need to sleep now. And even even ones, this by the way, folks, even ones where Taz commentated. Yeah. We watched a bunch of like Angle, Guerrero, Lesnar stuff from classic SmackDown. And it's very odd. I think it's strange because you've also said you've been able to nap a lot when I've been playing Yakuza recently. Yeah, I, don't, I think I just... It, it used to be you had to have a peaceful yeah. background noise. I had to go to Bailu Village or somewhere like that to get you to nap. I don't know if it's just the pandemic that like maybe I just... Maybe my sleep's all fucked up. Oh, no, I mean, definitely. Or, I mean, we've got a significant houseworks going on at the moment, so we're we're living out of we're living in a less than ideal circadian rhythm at the moment. Yeah. Let's just say. But just like every time there was a task match that I had to watch, I found myself falling asleep. I literally had to pry my eyes mm. open. So it was around this time in this match that I started thinking how pretty a merman Sabu would be <laughs> because of his shiny pants yeah it's because of his there. shiny pants yeah he could be a professional merman uh, would you have Taz be a merman no no okay I think he'd be a centaur ooh yeah big centaur energy from Taz yeah. definitely yeah but I like get a, that a bull centaur a or something bull cent- like a minotaur then is that what no not like is? a minotaur because I, I think he should have the four legs beat my maze if you can escape <laughs> if I let you <laughs> <laughs> Sabu starts doing his best Taz impression after being dropped on his head over and over again. He starts doing a few suplexes of his own and even tries his hand at the Kata Ajime. And then afterwards stands up and, like, Sabu gets like one flurry of offense and he stands up and tries to do Taz's, like, arm fold pose. He's like, fuck Taz, man. And, like, literally Taz just stands up. Nope, nope, no, you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Chokes him out. Taz wins. The end. Nope, no, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> And this is what I love most about Taz. 
there's like there's there's rage in 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 the world and then there's just this there's this kind of like con, con context free rage that flows through taz he's had this fucking match he comes and he grabs the microphone it's meant to be a heartfelt promo the first big pay-per-view from ecw taz has got the mic and he's like i just choked you out and he's trying to get really heartfelt about you. I fucking hate you. And he's trying really hard. I hate you so much, Sabu. And I'd kill you again if I get the chance in this ring. And then one guy in the crowd goes, This is some bullshit, man. And Taz's like, This ain't fucking bullshit, buddy. This is fucking as real as it gets. I'll fucking choke you out. I'll kill you. I'll find where you live. I will choke out your mailman before he delivers you your mail. And he's so fucking angry. And it's really sweet. Because he wants to have a sweet moment with Sabu. And he's trying to be like, I hate you, but I kind of appreciate you at the same time. And one person's like, hey, Matt. Yeah. We had another one like that where he tried to like come back after he's in WWE. And he's there like, hey, I'm here to talk about Danny Dorn and Roadkill, who I trained. And these two guys are tough bullshit. Man. It's not bullshit. I trained these. He gets so fucking angry. Yeah. It's, he gets a handshake and then the crowd start booing. No, 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 no. Oh, sorry. They, they hug. Oh, and then the crowd start booing on a hug. They boo the hug. That gets heat. Fucking ECW, man. And that's because it's ECW and no matches end or ever begin. Rob Van Den comes in and then betrays Taz and Sabu betrays Taz as well and they beat him up lots and the other match starts. It's just, it's ECW, folks. And you get like a bunch of botches though. This is like really bad, this bit, because then... Oh yeah, this is when Sabu's meant to get his heat back at yeah, the end. Yeah, Sabu brings out his chair and he puts it in the ring to like run up and jump over the ropes, but he falls over instead so he puts the chair out again and then he fucks up again and he trips over the ropes and falls down on a table. Like he puts himself through a table. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, right? You've, you've seen so little of Sabu that yeah. I really need to say like, this is not Sabu like doing this to be a dick or like this isn't like, oh, because he's with Taz. It's all, you know, he's off his game or anything. This is kind of par for the course Sabu. Like, and I think there's a degree of frustration I always felt with Taz that the guy he was in there with, he was known for a lot of gimmicks, tables and chairs and stuff, and that he was, you know, sloppy a lot of the time. And, you know, he would go and he'd do a spot and he'd be like, nope, not doing that, and then he'd do something else. Wow. And I think Taz did resent that a bit, because Taz was like, my stuff looks real, it looks legit, you know, when I suplex you, I suplex you for real. And what does that mean, suplex you for real? Well, a lot of people didn't want to be thrown around. How do you get suplexed for fake? I mean... I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess there's, I mean, there's, there's a level of cooperation involved always, isn't there? But I mean, like, a reason why suplexes weren't very popular in wrestling at the time is that they suck to take. Right. No one wants to be fucked and they can't see where they're going to land and they go on their back or land near their head or their neck or their shoulders. Like, they are on the dangerous side of things and they also require a lot of cooperation, a lot of strength, and they hurt. Yeah. You know, and Taz had to kind of negotiate with Paul to find challengers and people he could work with who would do that. You never saw Taz versus Sandman really in much of a feud because Sandman ain't taking no fucking suplexes off the top rope. Hmm. But what did you think of this very messy but very true to life ECW encounter? I didn't like it. I gave it two and a half stars, but I think in wow. hindsight it didn't even deserve that. Why did you give it two and a half? I was interested by the two and a half, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I might change that to one and a half. <laughs> I didn't like this match. It was 
boring. Nice. And they fucked up all the time and it looked shit and oh. the wrestling moves were bad and they, there was loads of blood. Any <sighs> pos- positives though? Come on, that's, that's any positives you could take from that? Sabu did a flip. Yeah, he liked Sabu. I, you did say ooh a lot during this match. Okay, You yeah. said ooh a lot. Sabu did a couple of flips. Yeah, and Joe did a couple of oohs. Yeah, I did a couple of oohs, <laughs> but I just didn't... There was a bit where Taz was clutching at his willy, and then on commentary, Joey Styles was like, Taz keeps clutching at his massive shoulder. <laughs> oh, I mean, come on now. You know that Taz is hung like a zoo animal. Like, oh, yeah. You know, come on now. Ain't no, ain't no question about that. Although, why is he called Nub City then? Oh, no. Oh, mm. no, surely not. No, it's a different mm. thing. It's, it's a Brooklyn thing, I'm sure. Okay. So, the ending of that match, and that's something that, you know, you saw a lot, there's a lot of comparisons with Steve Austin during the Attitude Era, where if Austin did get beat, then there'd be like, you know, the bit afterwards where the, the bad guy runs out and Austin gives him the stunner and he kind of wins for real. A lot of that would happen with Taz. Like, Taz would lose a belt, but then he'd win another belt back. Or, you know, Taz would lose. Or if Taz wants to get beat down, he would have to win first. You know, okay. ne- you never get like Taz out and out losing and then be beaten up afterwards. You know, it would always be a negotiation of sorts. And Taz had multiple stints as the ECW World Champion, as the TV Champion, and as the Tag Team Champion. But the main kind of uh, belt that Taz is associated with in ECW is the FTW belt. For the win? Uh, no, not for the win. I think this might have predated a lot. I mean, FTW is something that would have come up in uh, gamers speak a lot back in the day, mm. right? Yeah. What was the show that you uh, you showed me that was oh. a, a lot of gamer chat? Oh no, I'm not let's say that's embarrassing. No. I'm gonna say it because yeah. I'm hoping that someone out there who listens to this podcast will be like <gasps> I was a teenager who watched Shut Trash Too. How dare you. I used to watch Pure Ownage. Mm. Yep. They they say for the win there, was it? No. They didn't? No, not really. Where did you first hear FTW? Oh, I know some stupid guy I was friends with in sixth form. We used to say it all the time. Okay, because I mean I was aware of the FTW belts quite early on. Because I remember, like, one of the few things I was shown of Taz when my my brother and his friends were watching ECW, they'd be like, he's got his own belt. I was like, what is, what's his FTW sound for? <sighs> Fuck the world, Kevin. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. And, like, Taz basically, in, once again, in real life, he was frustrated about the fact that he wasn't champion. He was frustrated about people leaving for WCW and him not getting the opportunity. So he's like, fine, if you ain't going to make me world champion, I'm going to be the FTW champion. It could be the Fuck the World belt. It could be the Brooklyn belt. I don't care. This is mine. And it was just an old ECW tag belt that they had put like a few like stickers on. They put an orange strap on it for Taz. And I love most about the FTW belt is that it had Taz's name like literally written on it. Like yeah. the belt's design had Taz on it because obviously Taz is going to be the only FTW champion. And when he finally got a chance at the world belt, he's like, I don't want this fucking belt anymore. And he gave it to Sabu. He just laid down and let him have it. Wow. And he's like, fine, you want this piece of shit, you can have it. And then Sabu got a piece of duct tape which just said the word Sabu written on it and he placed it over it. <laughs> so like we could have finally someone else hold the FTW belt. Wow. Wrestlers having their own belts. It's not something we've ever really talked about much before. No, I don't really understand how that works. How do you just decide to have your own belt? Like, surely it's not. It doesn't mean anything unless it's got a history. Do you know of any wrestlers who've like had their own belt at any point in time? No. So is this the first time you've heard of it? I mean, no, it's not the first time I've heard of it. Mm. I've heard of it happening before, but I don't. I couldn't say who's done it. Right. I mean, is that something that you would be for or against, generally speaking? Like, if 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 that was something you would see on the modern wrestling show? I don't really understand how it would work. I mean, usually these storylines come from it's like very often a heel. 
it's kind of someone who's maybe semi-delusional and they're like it's kind of you know, when Ric Flair came into WWE and he had the old WCW belt still and he's like I'm the real world champion I don't have to prove anything it's basically someone saying look I've got this and this is all yeah, I need yeah but that's different because it had a history yeah Oh, that's it's true. not him just inventing it and going, like, I could just invent a belt and be like, I'm the world champion of the Joe belt. No, that's the lineage has been established now, folks. The first champion has been crowned on this day. That's one of the record <laughs> books, you know. But, like, it just doesn't mean anything. I mean, I think it's only as good as the performer wants it to be. And, like, for, for me, like, this, the character of Taz, like, what's the most perfect excuse in the world for him to have a belt? Because, like, he thinks he should have one. He doesn't want to play by the rules, so he just makes himself... Like, this is, like, the most, like, it's my birthday, I'll do what I want thing ever. But because it's Taz, it it works. Okay. The fact that he wasn't meant to be a heel when he did this and said, I'm on my own fucking belt then with blackjack and hookers. You know, like, the fact that that is not a heel thing, I, like, it's so fascinating about Taz. Like, he's a good guy for saying, I want my own belt, fuck all of you. <laughs> but I'm not very surprised, because it's ECW, and this is the late 90s, mm. and everyone's trying to be edgy, and teenage boys are your target demographic. You often mention the teenage boys who watched wrestling when you were growing up. Yeah. Would they have looked up to Taz, do you think, as the uh, angry young man of the late 90s? I don't think they watched ECW. Well, I mean, I would say they, they wouldn't have, obviously, yeah, but... Or they would have been very unlikely to, I should say, because it's quite hard to find on TV, but... Had they been shown Taz, you know, and all that. I don't think they'd like Taz. Really? When I was introduced to wrestling, and I say this is obviously a very soft introduction to wrestling because I don't really know anything. I was introduced to it as a kind of like, look at this silly, fun thing. It's play fighting. It's silly. It's fun. As I mentioned in early episodes, I was the ice queen. And I had magic powers. She still is, by the way. I still am. (laughs) So it's not... I don't think... Yeah, I don't think the teenage boys I knew were ever into the real fighting mm. part of it. Yeah. it was, you know, they used to do their own backyard wrestling. It was never real fighting they were doing. It was play fighting. Most of the kids who were into Taz in school were like, tended to be like kind of like loners or like, I knew a lot of folks who were quite short who really loved Taz. Yeah. And I imagine that's great representation if you're a short, angry man. And I don't think Taz has ever once did a promo where like, I'm sick of people saying I'm not big enough. I don't think he ever actually said that. Which is probably good because I think it's a bit I don't know, I imagine they wouldn't do it well, I don't think you need to say it, but yeah, like, yeah you know, I, I don't think it was ever, like, you never need to say anything like that. Of course, you know, when they brought ECW onto WWE, like, for those few bits, like, straight away, King was like, of look course. at Taz, he's short, man, look yeah. at him, he looked a lot bigger on the Lucky Charms box, <laughs> you know, cool. he's he's small, you know, I think, I think Taz, like, in, in the fact that he did so well at it, he almost kind of gets forgotten that he was, like, he was a world champion in ECW, and this is what I love about when he was the champion, He'd have his belt and he'd do his tail on the head promos. He'd be like, Goldberg, you fucking phony. I could kick your ass in two seconds. I'd choke you out. Steve Austin, you bald motherfucker. I'd choke you out too. Like, he didn't give a shit. Like, he honestly, he thought everyone was overblown and overhyped and he was the only, like, real guy in wrestling who was a proper world champion who could actually fight. Wow. So I think, like, a lot of, a lot of teenage boys, like, I think that's why I was kind of, like, drawn to Taz as well. Is that he like, ooh, look at the chutzpah on this guy. Like, <laughs> calling everyone out. But like, isn't that just wrestling? Like, I feel a lot of wrestlers. Other do companies, that. though, to go to—I okay. mean, to make mock other companies like right. that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, that was ECWA, wasn't it? Yeah. You, you, you mocked other companies, like you know. Yeah. I mean, if Taz was being—I mean, Steve Austin wouldn't be talking about Taz at ECW in any of his promos, more than likely. No. I don't think Goldberg probably even knows who Taz is. No. <laughs> and that says not a lot about Goldberg. Second match here, another iconic match with a very memorable ECW history attached to it. 
This is Taz taking on the Beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow. This is from ECW's Living Dangerously in 1998 in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Bam Bam's hometown. That's for the ECW Television Championship. And the whole story about this is that Bam Bam Bigelow was feuding with a, with a bad guy group called the Triple Threat. And he's been beaten up by them. And Taz was also being beaten up by them. Taz being like the strong-headed guy that he was. was like, I don't want no help. I want to beat them all up on my own. And Bam Bam's like, Taz, you got to help me out. We got to work together. Will you be my partner? And Taz is like, no, brother. I will be your partner. I'm going to be your savior. And then because it's ECW, Bam Bam Bigelow betrayed him. And that's what we have in this match. <laughs> but even though Bam Bam Bigelow betrayed him and he did the bad guy thing because it's ECW, he's being cheered because we're in their hometown of Asbury Park, New Jersey. Ugh, cool. I love watching big men wrestle little men. And Bam Bam Bigelow is one of my favorite big men of all time, Joe. Really? I love Bam Bam Bigelow. He's fucking incredible. This guy can do... Fucking moonsaults and somersaults off the top rope. The man can do a cartwheel, Joe. Yeah? Yeah. I'm sorry he didn't impress me much. I mean, this is probably Bam Bam towards the tail end of his career, let's just say. But uh, how would you describe the look of, uh, of old Bam Bam? He... I recognise him. I can't remember if we've done a match with him or not Yeah, before. I'm not sure Actually, either. you know, I think he may have shown up in the Sandman episode, the Triple Threat in WCW. That could well be. Yeah. Because yeah, he looked really familiar to me, but not his ring gear and mm. you said that makes no sense because he is his ring gear like <laughs> his, his, his tattoo is continuous with his ring gear but i'm yeah. pretty sure he may have been wearing something slightly different like a t-shirt or something right in that wcw match yeah i recognized his face yeah kind of recognized his tattoo but i did not recognize the weird singlet which is like kind of multicolored. yeah joe you've got a, a look on your face as if you want to tell me how you got on with this match how did you get on with this this match Bam Bam punched a table and it exploded that was oh man i love that i love that that's a lot. my top spot that was your top whole, spot. Whole episode. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I remind you every every match. Yeah. For top spots, that's the only one. No, there was also one in the other match, the one we've just done. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge your top spot in this in in, in a moment. I think because sometimes here, yeah, if it's not a top spot, then I don't know what is a top spot. There's a lot of teasing of if Bam Bam Bigelow is too big to be suplexed. And that question is quickly answered when he gets T-Bone suplexed off the ramp into the audience below. Horrible. It was so scary looking. Because, I mean, Bam Bam's a big guy and he just got dumped onto... Like, you forget all those times with Sabu and Taz and then flying to the outside. It's concrete. Yeah, that's real. That sucks. It's pretty horrible. Oh, God. So, they do a crowd brawl again. And I did enjoy a lot that Bam Bam Bigelow... Much like I feel you and I would, even though there was a broken table, he still int- was intent on using the broken table because it was still mostly fine. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people would throw throw food out because it's a day past the sell-by date. Ugh, this is the wasteful. wrestling equivalent, isn't yeah. it? Like, <laughs> uh, Taz dumps Bam Bam Bigelow face first into the table, which was fucking disgusting. Yeah. And now the quote of the night from Joe Grain. Watching these Taz matches sure makes me sleepy. Mm. Uh, Joe started joining Joey Styles as color commentator at this point, which is where we got the AAA square up, left, right, etc. My my notes here are literally dumb fighting, punch, punch, kick, throw, hit with object, punch, punch. Oh, they've fallen in a hole. Yeah, I've got the quote here from you, which is, whoa, it's a hole? Yeah. That's not a top spot. No. They went through the ring. Yeah. He had him in the transmission, sidestepping. I, I literally, I got up during the match to explain why it was so beautiful. I was like, look, and he was 
like he didn't fall straight back he was like pirouetting falling in momentum and he's went right through the hole in the ring ah the first time it ever happened in wrestling and he pulls out the body and everyone's going what the fuck's going on ah, and it'd be re- great if they fell in the hole and then they came out and they were all covered in slime yeah why i don't know like imagine if there was slime inside the ring that'd be so funny uh joe you've you've listened to the tom wade song way down in the hole too much so that there's the devil down in the hole but there is no slime yeah you've got to keep the slime way down <laughs> in the hole <laughs> so Bam Bam Bigelow like did moonsaults. They suplexed each other off a fucking ramp. There was tables being exploded through physical force and otherwise. Mm. There was a genre-defining moment where the ring was broken. Then there afterward... was punches. There were kicks. The... There were objects being thrown. There were I'm, more punches. I'm just trying really hard to stand up for this match because unlike the last match, I do I do rank this match. I do really? like this match a lot. I do. I really do. I think the side has seen Lil Taz on Bam Bam's shoulders and Bam Bam flying through there. And like it being the perfect moment where like it's okay, you can pin Taz clean because he went through the ring. There's no bullshit. Just pin him. And like he pulls him out afterwards and just pins him. It's like, wow, he just found a real nice little story to tell. And the bit I love so much is when Joey Styles is afterwards being like, Bam Bam Bigelow is one. And then Paul Heyman, he usually didn't see, just goes, buy me some time, Joey Styles. I don't know what the fuck to do. And he just walks off. Oh, That's good, yeah. I think they really sold it like it was real. And I was saying to you, like, you know, within a year, WWE was like, Kane chokes on Big Show through the ring, Undertaker chokes on Kane through the ring, Mick Foley goes, everyone's going through the ring, like, you know, they bought him special. I dread to ask your star rating. So that was the top spot, by the way, then going through the ring. No. Okay. It's not for me to decide. No, yeah. it's not for you to decide. <laughs> You're right. It's none of your damn business. <laughs> So, um, unless it's, uh, excuse me, unless it's none of my damn business, <laughs> uh, could you uh, maybe let me know the star rating for this? I Central? gave it two stars. Two stars. So, I guess higher than the other one. Retrospectively higher than the last one. Retrospectively. Boring. Even going through a hole didn't wake me up. Is this... I had to, like, basically slap myself to stay awake. Is this because, like, we've watched, like, you know, we said Sandman and Dudley Boys and a lot of ECW stuff where there's been crazy wild stipulations and a lot of weapons and a lot of crazy action and the crowd are, like, kind of on their feet the whole time with lots of chants and stuff. Like, was it lacking some of, like, the ECW secret sauce for you? Or? There were chants and stuff. There was one point where the, uh, the crowd were chanting choke him out and i thought they were saying sort it out <laughs> no that's usually like done at like a rev pro show yeah. and like sort you know, it out hey the tuborg chap has gone dry sort it out sort it <laughs> out it's ridiculous so two stars there okay yeah i just don't like this style it's boring okay. oh it's so boring taz has no personality he's just whoa angry man. taz just, has no personality he's an angry man that's not personality it's just angry man does, does the character from the promos and the stories and all that because i feel like when you were hearing about taz in real life being frustrated and pissed off and being very upfront about that yeah like you seem to like that about him yeah is the character you see in the ring is there a disconnect between yeah. the guy in the microphone and the guy in the ring yeah really and yeah. i couldn't even say like why mm. i just uh, i just don't know i just don't i like taz as a person yeah I don't like him as a wrestling character. Okay. Interesting, because we got, like, before we 
recorded. I know you sent out, I think you've done this before, where you're literally like, I'm worried about how I feel about this wrestler. Can yeah. you send me some stuff, please? And then everyone sent me stuff I'd already seen. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good, because it makes me feel like I've at least given, like, can you just uh, test for everyone, yeah. including Taz, who's, who, if he's listening, that I tried really hard. You did, you tried really hard. Thank Even you. though I did say, I'm really worried I don't get Taz, and you were like, yeah, you probably don't. <laughs> no, no, I and I was like, "Are you going to defend his corner? Because I feel really bad that I don't get him." And you're like, "No, I'm not going to try and like no, convince no. you of anything." <laughs> I will always defend a wrestler's corner, absolutely, particularly if I feel strongly for them. And I, as I said, Taz is one of my guys growing up, and I feel strongly about his place in wrestling history and what he accomplished and all that. I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, and I love the match as well. I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to try and convince you beyond reason to like something that you don't. That is why we still have managed to do this podcast. Because I learned that lesson very early that it's you might not like something and that's okay. Pissy whipped, Kevin. Exactly. And that's why if I wasn't pussy whipped, we would have stopped this episode when you gave Vincent Shaman one star and I would have stopped it right there. <laughs> and there would have been no more of it now, wouldn't it? You know? There would have been no more of it. And we would have all been happy and there wouldn't be a podcast, but I wouldn't be pussy whipped. So, <laughs> so we'd all be much better off, wouldn't we? Yeah, I'd be put my place in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so Taz finds himself in the uh, unfortunate position like a lot of people did in ECW at the time where he was a big star he was getting you know main events he had won the world championship he had main event against every top star in ECW he had sat and watched as the likes of Sandman and Two Cold Scorpio and you know a lot of his compatriots had went on to other companies and while they may not have been main eventers in our Sandman episode, we can definitely say that a lot of money was made by a lot of folks during this ECW period. Taz is one of the few people who didn't miss checks from Paul Heyman. He was asked point blank if he ever had a missed check, and I think he said, like, maybe there's once or twice where he didn't get paid, but it got sorted out. Do you reckon that's because he did all that design work? I think, I mean, Tommy Dreamer and Bubba Ray, all these guys, we could listen to a million guys who did a million things and yeah, but still didn't do it. Not many guys actually did graphic design, though, would they? Like, and that's actually and, revenue yeah. for And the t-shirts everyone. as well. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. So maybe that was it. Maybe it's just that trust factor. I mean, it's weird because some could make the argument, and a lot of people, like, a lot of the reasons why Paul didn't pay a lot of people, like, regularly. Like, people who he thought, shit, don't, don't lose Shane Douglas, don't lose Lance Storm, don't lose these great wrestlers. But, like, yeah, he'll be fine without them, I think, you know, and they'll be fine elsewhere. Mm. They'll be able to make money. I always wondered if, like, Heyman felt he was protecting Taz by, you know, make sure he was paid very well in terms of a character and a performer getting everything they want in terms of creative control. Like, Taz wasn't doing jobs that he didn't want to do. Taz wasn't doing storylines that he didn't want to do. He only worked with who he wanted to work with. Really? Yeah. I mean, he had all that. But it wasn't, like, creative control. It's just that, you know, him and Paul understood what they wanted with the character. So was he just not involved in any interesting feuds? I just oh, no. find it all boring. No, no, no. Come on now. The Sabu <sighs> feud, lengthy, historic. Shane Douglas feud as well. They just hate each other. <laughs> There's no drama there. So... Taz starts talking with WWF. And what's really interesting is that I found from that Art of Wrestling interview with Colts that there was a chat to bring Taz in as early as 1999 into wow. WWF in the height of the Attitude Era. And the idea was that they were going to bring in for one of Vince Russo's ideas, the, the, the Lion's Den, which is kind of like a UFC cage that they had made special for Ken Shamrock. Right. And Ken Shamrock was going to go and do another UFC fight. 
and they thought right what we're going to do is we'll bring in Taz Taz beats Ken Shamrock and he like we write him out a storyline and Ken can go and do his UFC stuff and then Taz is like the king of the cage for six months no one can touch Taz in the cage and then Shamrock comes back for the big event they have the showdown and you know he jobs to Shamrock and mm. they do the, the MMA style and that was like that's a pretty cool idea because it's like an idea and a storyline with a top guy ready to go well it didn't happen and then year two go by it's the year 2000 everyone's doing very very well and Taz starts to negotiate with WWE and they offer him really good money more money than he's ever made before one of the slight downsides of the negotiation and I don't know intellectual property in wrestling is an interesting one at the I think particularly now when we're in May 2020 where a lot of wrestlers have been uh, let go for pastures green and yeah. intellectual properties are hard to come by yeah Taz did the contract negotiations and he thought he was the smartest man in the world because his uh, guy who was helping him negotiate his contract, Paul Heyman, had made sure that Taz got to keep all of his intellectual property. So Taz owned the rights to Taz with one Z. He owned the rights to Human Suplex Machine, Path of Rage, so, you know, Beat Me If You Can, Survive If I Let You, like all of his gimmicks. Okay. He thought, this is great because when we make all the t-shirts and all the revenue, I'm going to get a big nice cut of that. But instead, what happened is he becomes Taz with two Zs and he's no longer the human suplex machine. He's the human wrecking machine and they don't use any of his catchphrase stuff. Why? Because then they'd have to pay him because it's his IP. Use our IP instead, then we'll get paid. So they just changed it enough to use it without paying yeah. him. So like he was, you know, the, the mood is about to change. They use that one. But like he would, but the thing is, Taz was so creative. Like you know, when it started, I listed all those things. Half of those are ones that you use in WWE. The other half to use in ECW. You'd always have a new thing. But it's like it's just kind of like the stuff. Like when I was introduced to Taz, I didn't know like Human Suplex Machine was a thing because they never said it in WWE. It was only right. when I went back and watched ECW later that I was like, oh okay, it's he's a Human Suplex Machine and just beat me if you can. So, like it's it's kind of shitty. Like, you know, to, to tell someone, don't worry, you get all your IP, but then not tell them we're not going to use any of it. Like, you might as well, in that case, have given, sold WWE your IP, yeah. made a bit of money, and then get to be your character. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of shit for that to go down that way. So whose fault is that? Is that WWE's fault? Paul Heyman's fault for not negotiating properly? Taz's fault for not, mm. I don't know, finding someone to negotiate on his behalf? Like It's not the first time that Paul Heyman was involved in some dodgy IP negotiations. Brackets, the Dudley Boys, who were convinced that they owned the IP for the Dudley Boys, and then, no, you don't. That was... Is this just another instance of Paul Heyman secretly being in Vince's pocket? Yeah, probably. Probably. And like, not, like, here's the thing, though. So what, also... Paul Heyman was saying one thing to... Taz saying, "Oh yeah, we'll give you your intellectual property," and then backdoor to Vince, he was going, "You don't have to." Actually I know give it it's, to him, it's crazy to think that Paul Heyman would say one thing to one party and another thing to another no, party. No, I don't think it's that I... crazy. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> but like, I don't, don't like. I don't want to be all conspiracy theorists. I'm not like they're like, "Yes," and then we can sign him, and then we'll make sure he doesn't get over. Like, I don't. Think no, w... I don't think that. But like, honestly, in 2020, I think WWE are more likely to sign someone and be like, "And we'll never use them," which means yeah. no one else can. <laughs> like, that's more likely now. Back then, like they were in the middle of a war. They wanted people. They wanted stars. They wanted to use them. So I think Taz is just unfortunate that it was like a cost-cutting thing. Like, we're not going to pay you for IP. We're we're a dream factory. We've got like, writers. Why even? get him then i'm not entirely sure other than the fact that taz was the top guy in ecw and had been the top guy in ecw so for like three years for the intellectual property mm. i just don't understand there's no consistent argument here but like that's the red flag though isn't it like if they don't want your gimmick and they don't want all the stuff about you 
and they're taking you on like a multiple time world champion who could like there's no one in ECW who's ever put over as strong as Taz like he is the Hulk Hogan the Steve Austin he's he is the most protected name in the history of that company you know he was wow. he was the guy like bulletproof like you can make a legitimate argument that he was the toughest guy in the world because of how they presented him so like yeah I think they, yeah, they, they hired him because they had this mystique they were hiring lots of people from ECW like the Dudley boys you know they'd hired people you know Mick Foley and Steve Austin they'd hired in the past so it's like it's a top ECW name Paul Heyman yeah, says but, he's great so why not hire him with a lot of those instances though they hired them to change their character yeah. and give them something that they'd already created that was like a WWE house style yeah with Taz they hired him copied the character but changed it just enough to not have to warrant paying him yeah and it kind of feels like it just like... seems to be like either don't hire him at all or hire him and completely change his character I mean the Taz that we get later on is that completely changed character I feel like like he did his character changed so much in the, his later run at WWE that it was unrecognisable from his ECW run I think the problem for a lot of fans is, is that when he debuted and they presented it so much, like almost like the Taz, you know? Right. And this is the debut we're going to talk about now. This is probably the most requested match. Taz taking on Kurt Angle from the Royal Rumble 2000. And it it is crazy how much anticipation there was for this man to debut. Like, I didn't know. They were flashing the screen orange saying number 13. I didn't know what it meant. So this is before you knew who Taz was. I mean, I knew of Taz, but I didn't know that Taz was Mr. 13, like, right. with, with this thing flashing on screen. So I was unaware of who it was going to be. When he debuted, I, it wasn't much of a deal for me at all because even though it was a name that I may have known, he wasn't someone who I'd watched wrestle a whole deal. So when Taz comes out, you know, in this match, it is... Like, it's a star-making moment. I was immediately sold on Taz because of this here. Really? Well, because of the promo? Because of Kurt Angle coming out and him being this fucking... Like, this is my one of my favourite iterations of Kurt Angle. This early days Kurt Angle. It was nice to see young, shiny Kurt again. Yeah, he's a little boy. He's so young. Cute and little baby. Actually, my, my notes for this match is, like, Kurt Angle is so young. Little baby. Taz gets Kurt in the Taz mission. Kurt taps out. <laughs> now that is uh, without any of the the theatricality <laughs> and the salt and pepper, and that is that right there. What you described—that's why I became a fan as a child. You know, yeah. <laughs> just immediately when he when he did that, it just hooked me forever. <laughs> but it's it's the little things. It's like it's Kurt Angle. He's undefeated coming out and being cocky. And it's like, look, I'm being nice. I'm being your hero in New York. I'm gonna provide a platform for my. And I love this, my so-called unnamed opponent. <laughs> Allegedly unnamed opponent. He's like, I want you to come out here, you know, give it your all, remember your three eyes, yeah, and then we'll have a nice little wrestling match. And when Taz comes out, the pop from the audience is so... It's so big. I like. I got goosebumps. I'm whoop, getting them again now. Aww. I got so many goosebumps yeah. when I was watching. And this was after, by the way, Joe, like really not having a good time watching the first two matches. And I was still getting goosebumps about Aww, Taz. That's nice. Such goosebumps. When he comes out and beautiful, beautiful voice of Hall of Famer Howard Finkel, who very sadly passed away recently, when he says, Taz! It's tires from JR. I get every always gives me goosebumps. Aww. Just the 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 sense of occasion, ceremony, hometown boy, New York. Yeah. Like and to think you know he was working on the railroads in New York and now he's here in Madison Square Garden. But like Taz points out in the interviews that like he knew when he was coming out he was like uh oh when he was coming out he was he was worried. Why? 
Because it's like, the reason I got this puff isn't because of WWE. The reason I got this puff is because of ECW. Oh, okay. And this ain't gonna last. <laughs> you know? That's a very negative way. I mean, I can see why he'd think that, but also I think you're kind of you're kind of writing the ending to your own story if that's mm. what you're deciding is going to happen straight away. He rang a Paul right before he went through the curtain to get his blessing to go out Oh, and that's nice. Because he felt so guilty about leaving ECW. <laughs> and like, that's the thing, right? You know, people, we talked in ECW about that cult and that draw that yeah. it had. And like, it's not just the... The people like Sandman and Tommy Dreamer who got you know, live this party like rock star lifestyle that they got to enjoy and like oh man I'm gonna be loyal to ECW forever because I got to do that. Taz was like you know you're ringing your boss on the verge of tears before you go out the curtain to start your new job. Yeah, that job had its hooks in you. The the boss had you you know on on the team, and it's not just the people who partied. It was people like Taz who spent most of their time in ECW being very miserable. Yeah, I tell you the story about. Raven and Taz when he met him in ECW. No. Raven had just come from WCW and he had been in ECW and he had, you know, had a bit of a run and things weren't great in WCW. He was back in ECW and he goes, Taz, why are you so miserable? And Taz's like, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know. I just like, you're the world heavyweight champion. You have been for like a year. You're the top guy. Everyone, WWE wants to sign you. WCW wants to sign you. You got a lovely wife. You got a lovely new house. Two amazing kids. Why are you so angry and so miserable? <laughs> and Taz went, I don't know, and stormed out. Aww. Like he's like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm angry. Like, and I think when you're angry and you don't know why, that's like That's horrible. I, I'm like that all the time. Like there was a another story as well. You were asking me about like if there's any backstage fights with Taz. Yes, I wanted to know because he seems like the type of like legitimate tough nut that like probably had fought a lot of people and won. The only fight I could hear about or backstage altercation was between him and Rob Van Dam. Really? Where apparently Rob Van Dam had really pissed him off and he went up to square up to Van Dam and Van Dam looked at him and he said, pick which hand do you want me to slap you with? And then Van Dam <laughs> slapped him and Taz left the room. Oh my God. And when That's I heard... not going to make Vince like you. No, but that happened in ECW. I know, but, but still. It's going to make his way back to him though, isn't it? Uh, Somehow. I don't know. It's just... You know what, let's, let's talk about this lovely match here. That I'm okay, very, let's talk about this lovely match. match. There was more selling in the first two minutes of this match than the last two matches combined. Yeah. And this was the match that made me like fall in love with Taz because I talked about those suplexes. And there were some of these suplexes we saw here, like G-Bone suplexes. Or when he suplexed Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle flipped over and landed on his front. That like blew my mind. Really? And Taz said apparently like when he was doing the match... Backstage afterwards, there were a lot of people who were like, uh oh, not taking that. No, 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 not doing that. You can keep him with his release suplexes away from me, thank you very much. Because that wasn't part of the style. Like, would you have watched the match we saw with Karango and kind of thought, oh, that's very dangerous? No. Well, that's the reaction that he got. That's so weird. Because of those supposedly pedestrian suplexes, Joe, that people don't like. Crazy. I just. It's, it, for me, it's like it's such a regular ass wrestling match. Like I mean that yeah. in a positive way. Like it's like you know he does some cool stuff like top rope suplexes, and the crowd are really crazy into it. And like and this is at the point as well where Kurt Angle he was undefeated and he was untouchable. To see Kurt Angle get the shit beat out of him by a smaller guy was really fun as a kid. Yeah. To see this like doofus get beat up by the older tough kid who's come from the other school <laughs> we've heard about him like oh <laughs> you know we've heard stories about this guy we get the Taz mission that's locked in and the what Taz does that mission, mean locked in locked in he gets it sinking proper in like it's 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 added in with 100% efficacy how can you tell uh, that the arm and the neck have been separated and Taz's arms are completely around the throat 
And Isn't the, that just the transmission? It is, yeah. It's locked in. It'd be like, other than like, say if I was like, got your arm up and I was trying to get my hand around your neck going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Hasn't got it locked in yet. Right. Then you get it locked in. I see. It's locked. It's like locking in your final answer in, a, in who wants to be, my left, do you yeah. want to do this move? He's got on the transmission. That's how it works. Now, I wonder what you thought to the chat on commentary about the illegal nature of Taz's finishing move. Talking about whether or not choking is illegal. Yeah. So Taz beats Kurt Angle with the Taz mission. Yeah. Which is a judo chokehold, and straight away Jerry Lawler's like, he didn't really beat him because that move's not legal. And Jerry was like, well, hang on a second, no, that that. Oh wait, no, yeah, no, it probably is illegal. Yeah, I don't think he really bet him. And like Taz wasn't told this at all. Like as a kid, I was like, oh, is it because the move is so dangerous, he won't be able to do it. And when he does it, they'll cancel the match because it's too dangerous. No, they just said it. What? They just said, yeah, that move's illegal. He shouldn't do it. And they just kept doing it. His finisher. His finisher. Like, you could tell that they don't really get the sale of goods if they're being told on the headsets, tell them, bury, bury the finisher. Bury the finisher, yeah. What Say it's fuck? illegal. Ugh. Now, one time Undertaker had a submission move joke called The Hell's Gate. And when anytime Undertaker did it, it would make wrestlers be like, and they like puke blood and stuff. What? It was, it was so dangerous. And like, he would do the move and then like the general manager, Teddy Long, was like, that move is banned now because it's too dangerous. You're hurting all the top stars. Mm-hmm. And then there'd be like a match, like a main event match at a pay-per-view and Taker would lock it in and he'd hit the, he'd hit the Hell's Gate and someone would tap out and it'd be like, yay. And then the manager, Teddy Long, comes out and says, no, 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 hold on a minute, player. Now the Hell's Gate submission has been banned so this match has to continue and like that was a cool little wrinkle like Taker had this cool move but he wasn't allowed to do it with Taz he gets a big win they go that move's illegal that is and then he does nothing but wrestle jobbers for around a year and a half wow what because of that move no they just didn't know what to do with him oh he had no storyline there was no like Kurt Angle like you think after this Kurt Angle's like he took my undefeated streak Mm. with an illegal move yeah Something they could have done with that. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Kurt Angle coming out saying, oh, actually, I didn't get beaten. He illegally choked me out. And that's not really being me, And also, actually. it's interesting as well, because, like, Kurt Angle, he has that proper, I don't want to say MMA background, but he has, like, that amateur wrestling background. Yeah. Like, Olympic wrestler. You could have seen a lot more. This match is, like, three minutes long. It's yeah. really short. Yeah. So, there's a lot left on the table there. And considering this is, like, the same time we had Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, like, a lot of very renowned technical wrestlers yeah. and these were all guys who were competing for the intercontinental and european championship even perry saturn was there who taz used to train wrestlers with an ecw no taz was put in the hardcore you know basically near the 24 7 hardcore championship where they're running around in circuses and stuff that's what taz is doing cool and you have like the mean street posse and crash holly running around throwing pies at each other and there's oh taz with the oiled up ties there trying to put on a wrestling hold and i felt really bad for him plays him a lot in the wrestling game though that's good yeah so Taz has another injury and he's kind of left on the shelf for a little bit nothing really had happened in his first run when he came back they decided that they wanted to go with a little different character and they wanted him to be more of a bad guy and be more kind of obnoxious and more of a more of a heel and they changed up his look and this is the point where people are like they completely buried him the look with the the track the kind of the dickies shirt the work shirt with the tall like sleeves it. and the the track pants do you like it i love I like it, it yeah, yeah i love it a lot now it's unique like i can't think of anyone else who looks like that so i like it it made him look like kind of a, a tough thuggish character who you'd see you know to me he looks like a tough guy you'd see at the gym yeah 
Like the type of guy who's at the gym um, because like he, I don't know, his tire is broken that he normally punches in the backyard. Like. Or like, you look like a guy you go to buy a dangerous dog from. Yes. <laughs> you know? And I, I love as well, like the colour coordination with Taz at this point where he had the black track pants with the orange stripes, the orange shades. Mm. Like, you know, that shit I fucking loved. The colour coordination. And black and orange, much like black and, I think it's as like, iconic as the black and pink with bread and that he made it his colour scheme. No one's going to go black and orange ever in wrestling because it is... Taz's color scheme. Wow. Which is pretty cool to get your own color scheme. Especially when that color scheme is tiger. Is oh god, you're right, Tiger Tiger, burning bright. As someone who currently has orange hair, did you like the aesthetic, generally speaking, in the color coordination? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I didn't really think much of it, to be honest. It's difficult for me because like <laughs> I feel like Brett has had such an obvious impact on like, you know, black and pink has infiltrated wrestling right up until today. Mm-hmm. Because Natalia still has black and pink as yeah. part of her ring gear. She's still one of the hearts. Like, mm. it's such a strong... There's a lineage look. with it. Yeah, it's a lineage. It's not just Brett. It was his whole crew. Yeah. It's his family. I think of black and pink, I think of Owen as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Whereas Taz, it's just Taz. And mm. he's not really... You know, even when he's on commentary, it's not like he still wears. It's not like Jerry Lawler, who continues with the king aesthetic even when he's on commentary that's true you never really see like taz has a very different look on commentary than he did he doesn't really got the orange and black look i mean he would wear the shades pretty much like that was it you know, yeah. taz had the shades you know if he still have the mohawk and all yeah. that you know now and then like he'd wear i remember he like would have a tuxedo he might have the orange tie and stuff you get like nods and such but like his commentary career how it started it started during the feud and the match we're going to look at next and it's our, in our last match in this episode which is when Taz took on Jerry the King Lawler in SummerSlam in 2000. And the storyline of this was absolutely perfect, where JR was just talking mess about Taz and commentary because Taz had come back and was heel, and Taz would just hit people randomly for no reason. And people were like, why are you going hitting people for no reason? He's like, because I'm a miserable bastard, and I want everyone <laughs> I else... I don't know! And pretty much like, you know, why, why are you pulling on the wallpaper, Taz? <laughs> I don't know! <laughs> Yeah, it very much that like you know Taz, why did you write thirteen on the wall? Like I don't know. <laughs> Give me those orange crayons, like, you know. So Taz is getting into this feud with with Jr. and he's like, "You've been talking all types of shit about me, Jr. And you know what? You're nothing but a redneck scumbag." And I showed Joe the raw from Madison Square Garden, Taz's hometown, in front of his hometown crowd, where he got everyone to not just boo him. But to call for his blood. Yeah. Where he's out there just mocking poor old JR, demanding JR slap him. Now, I like this segment an awful lot, Joe. And oh, really? I like it a lot. Yeah. Do you want to tell people what happens after Taz dares JR to slap him? So, Taz dares JR to slap him, and JR does slap him. And then Taz, like, dares him to slap him again. He's like, I dare you. Slap, do it again. Slap me one more time. And then JR's like um, about to slap him. And then Jerry Lawler pushes him out of the way and punches him instead. It's very romantic. It's so romantic because Jerry's always a bollocks in commentary to JR. Yeah. And this was the first moment where he ever stood up for him. And it, like he was like, and afterwards he was a little bit embarrassed about it. He was like, oh. honestly, I feel that's a real shame, and I think it's a missed opportunity as well. But like, to me, if I was in charge of wrestling, I would definitely have a commentary team where one of them is a wrestler and one of them isn't. And yeah. but one of them jibes and makes fun of the other one. But as soon as anyone else tries, yes, 
beat the shit out of that, him. But that was that was the relationship with, with like, Jerry and saying, JR from that point onwards. From that I see, yeah. right, yeah. So they would have been on commentary together for around about a year and a half to two years at that point, and Jerry was always needling him and stuff like that. But and like there were times where like, you know, Triple H and other people did beat the shit out of JR and Jerry just sat back and going, Well, you shouldn't have gotten in the ring. But it's just the fact that like Taz was so mean, like Taz like mocks his bells, palsy. And, yeah, like, he's horrible. He's so aggressive, and like when he says it, everyone in the audience is like, "Oh!" And like I listen to Taz talk about that, and he's like, "You know, very uncomfortable for me to to have to say that." But like, yeah, it know, seems very out of character for yeah, him. It is. It's not like you know, even considering he was like this very dark character on ECW of all shows, he there was nothing in any of the promos that I saw that was like. It wasn't nasty mean, or mean yeah. or this this cruel. character is yeah, it's a mean and nasty, like a total villain like that. And he was like, Yeah, I had to you know, I asked JR if we could say it beforehand Good. and he gave him the okay and he's just like he felt that he needed to say something that would turn a Madison Square Garden crowd. I mean, the same crowd who he'd seen, you know, have that eruption. Yeah. You know, only a year, not even a year prior, sorry, six, wow. seven months prior to flip it on its head like that is amazing. So yeah, the whole path of rage that Taz cuts on, on JR and Jerry Lawler, including locking JR in the car and covering it in spray paint and <laughs> smashing open the windows. Yeah. Poor JR gets glass in his eyes. Yeah. It's, uh, not nice. Um, and at one point, someone... So they kind of pointed this feud, and it wasn't said to Taz at the time, but the point was to transition Taz into a commentary role. Okay. That was the, the idea here, was that you'd have Taz coming out and complaining about the commentators always being cruel to him and you know, being mean and putting him down. So what, beating Jerry Lawler and taking his place? Well, what would happen is like there was an episode of SmackDown, for instance, where Jerry Lawler's on commentary, Taz comes out, he lays him out, beats the shit out of him, Jerry's take away all bloody, and then Taz's like... Oh, guess I'm gonna to have to come out and do commentary now, Cole. And he puts on the headset, and he's like, the idea is like Taz is out there now, calling SmackDown with Cole, and he's like really obnoxious and horrible and laughing at his own jokes and right. going, like, "Hey, look, he's a heel. I like that guy." You know, the shit like that. Yeah. What they didn't tell Taz, and I think this is like, I'm all for trials by fire and all that, but this is kind of shit. They told him, you're going to go out there and do one match with Michael Cole. Then Jerry's going to come back out and he's going to fight you off. We'll do a bit in the ring. You get run off. And then, you know, Jerry will be back in commentary. Just to do this thing for one segment. Right at the start of SmackDown. Okay. Uh, the first match goes by and Taz is like getting ready to go back. And like, no, 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 you stay there. And they just decide on the fly because Vince likes how Taz sounds in the headset. Yeah, do the whole episode of SmackDown. Wow. Right now, go. That's so typical of Vince. And Taz afterwards, he's like, you know, he's like, it was just real scary learning on my feet. You know, it was really, really hard to do it. I wasn't prepared. Yeah. He went backstage afterwards and Vince's like, how did you find that, pal? And he's like, oh, that was hard, man. I didn't like doing that at all. And Vince's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. you're going to be doing that from now on. And, <laughs> and Taz's like, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was literally it. Like, they decided wow. you're going to be a commentator. So, at this point in time, when he is going to have this match with King, he is doing some commentary on, like, Sunday Night Heat and stuff like okay. that. But, uh, yeah, he still thinks he's going to be a wrestler full-time. Whoops. Poor Taz. You don't transition someone's career without, like, telling, telling them, them that. Yeah. Line, you know? First episode of How To Wrestling, I just asked, was just asking Joe about wrestling, and I turned on a microphone and said, Whoop, <laughs> you're doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> Taz's entrance hits a new low in terms of tastelessness but i just wanted you to see this taz compared to the very serious and at times by your own uh, estimation a less interesting more boring taz you found the last few times yeah what did you think to this taz coming out 
Wu is a much different character, let's just say. Well, yes. He came out with sunglasses, a cowboy hat, and a walking stick to mock the fact that JR got glass in his eyes. Yeah, in case you don't know what he's doing, he goes over and says, Help me, JR! I can't see! I'm blind! I got glass in my eye and I can't see now! <laughs> what a fucking dick! Yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> How is that the same guy? Like, I'm, that's why I'm so impressed by it. The fact that he was able to hard switch do mm. this completely different character. Whereas if you show me that old DCW Taz, that's like, okay, that's a guy who likes to do things his way and his way only. And he yeah. will not do it any other, other way than that. That is impressive, I think. Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I prefer this Taz a lot I more. I wondered if you would. To actual ECW Taz, which is so funny because I know a lot of people are under the impression that he got buried when he went to WWE, which I, mean, I he, guess... He did, he did in, in many yeah. respects. I mean, you go from being ECW world champion, you know, and then you're wrestling Jerry Lawler, part-time wrestler commentator at SummerSlam. Yeah, old man Jerry. You know, it's... It is a dem- like if you consider demotion of any sort to be buried, even like quite a notable demotion to be buried, then yeah, he's buried. Mm. You know, he was a, he was a cha- he was a world champion, and then he became like an opening act type of a thing or a mid card thing. Yeah, that's buried if you want to view it like that. He made way more money doing this than he ever did in ECW. He worked there probably twice as long as he did in ECW. You know, he has lots of like he is very particular about how this time period is kind of portrayed right if you say that you were buried and you were wasted he gets very angry about that but also he's also very angry i think about the fact that this is what happened if he had his way he would have been old taz choking out kurt angle the rock triple h you know being taz yeah that was never gonna happen with vince mcmahon running the show no and i hate to agree with vince because i feel i don't agree with him i just accept that's what vince's fucking thing is isn't it yeah but vince's reasons are wrong like Vince probably did that because Taz is short, whereas I'd have, I'd have done that because Taz is boring. <laughs> well, they, they, say, like, they say Taz is like he didn't have the right size, and he also uh, they they viewed him as being injury prone because he got injured quite early on. Right, mind, which okay. I kind of think like you know he was in the tail end of his career at this point, and yeah. even though he didn't use weapons in ECW, he wrestled a hard style. Like they beat the fucking shit out of each other. Yeah. So uh, Jr. is on his own on commentary on this one, and I absolutely love it because he is so fucking surly. And so angry, and he's like, I hope Jerry Lawler beats the, beats the crap out of that piece of shit Taz. I hate him so much. I was really impressed, because JR looked like he was genuinely br- like bruised and broken. He looks like such he has such a convincing black eye. Oh, the, the prosthetic work was so great. So good. And I think the and, performance... And the acting from JR as well, like, so he's, good. he's really, really effective. Uh, but he just had this look of, like, of he has the exact look where, you, if you've ever seen someone who's been in a fight before, yeah. and they just they see the person again, and it's like... You you know how much like I hate you for that, but yeah. I'm not I'm not causing any problems. You you just be on your way. And a little bit of fear. Yeah, a little bit of fear. A lot of a lot of condemnation. Like so much that is coming from yeah. Jim Ross there, and I think he did an excellent job on it. And like when I was doing season one of the Ashera, I was completely flabbergasted when we were covering Taz. Because like I had spent so long you know, in my early twenties watching every fucking bit of ECW, all the footage, all the all the stuff. And once the network came out, I was watching Taz stuff. And then I'm covering this for the Adjira podcast, and I'm like, here's Taz doing a silly match with Jerry Lawler, where he does like a Swan Tom bomb, and then like no sells a pile driver, and it's just generally quite silly. And I was very negative on it. Yeah. Very negative on it, just because I was like, 
the fuck is this? Like, mm. this is your wasting Taz, yada, yada, yada. I've come around a lot on it now since, because I think this is, like, really great performance. And anytime anyone shows versatility, I'm really happy to see it. And I just like goofiness. Yeah. I like a bit of levity. Yeah. I like people who don't take themselves too seriously, who understand that they're playing a character at the end of the day. Yeah. So this was honestly the most enjoyable Taz match of everything we watched. Like everything, everything we watched. I, I, I love this match. I'm very surprised about that because I fucking hate Jerry Lawler. That, that, that's right. That's that's working against it, right? It really that's... is. <laughs> like I really, really don't like Jerry Lawler. Particularly I'm not forward to this because Jerry Lawler in this was not only was he you know a, a fixture in the match, but he was the sympathetic. Yeah. White knight hero who's yeah. coming to save JR from this thug and He's like wearing a nappy. <laughs> oh man Yeah, he did a, a little bit of a nappy on him there. Uh, like just simple things like Taz begging off on his knees going, Please, Jerry Lola, no, don't come get me <laughs> I can you know, I could see how you'd feel betrayed as a fan. Because like if I had yeah, say for instance you had followed Mick Foley in ECW and WCW. Yeah, it's just it's impossible for and, me to really but it's know because I so, I yeah. haven't followed him. I never will follow his career, so it's not a case for me of him like being ruined. Because like it's like more for me, it feels like getting to see another side of his like yeah. capability. And he's very capable of doing this. Yeah, and I think the comedy and the kind of the goofiness that he gets here. I mean, like Taz, the color commentator. Takes 99% of it from this Taz, not from the brooding, quiet Taz who didn't want to talk to anyone and be in a room on his own. Like, he said he was quite immature and hot-headed back then. I think he was just, like, just easing up. He's just a little, taking himself a little less seriously around this time. I don't know if I'm just imagining this, but he seems to be having a bit of fun with this match. How could you not, like? You know, it's it's a fun match. Yeah, he doesn't seem miserable anymore. No. Like, genuinely, I don't like in wrestling when people are miserable and I think Bret Hart is like the only instance of like someone who's like just a miserable workhorse yeah. where I'm kind of like actually I quite like that because if he's not like if he's not this miserable workhorse the whole company's going to fall apart yeah. like, but you know what I bet Taz felt that way about ECW as well that if he wasn't that guy being legitimate and making this people think it, w- it could be real that's Bret's thing as well he was like if I'm not there being legitimate thinking making people think oh it could be real or he's real or he's kind of real see the difference is though I feel like Bret genuinely enjoys being miserable like i feel that he like some people just get joy out of being miserable like they just that makes them feel better and i really feel like brett it just comforts him to complain yeah like he's just a whiny baby i love that about brett but i feel like taz (laughs) that's why you've never been on simpsons you're a a whiny little baby you don't give simpsons rolls out to babies (laughs) goo goo gaga I feel that Taz is not happy with him being unhappy. Like, it doesn't get him anywhere. It just makes him angry and yeah. alone. And I think, like, people would hear Taz in commentary. I mean, like, Taz in commentary. I, mean, I showed Joe Taz commentating as a turkey. Like, he was a lighthearted, goofy... I actually loved that. He was, he was <laughs> so lighthearted, so goofy when he was on commentary... You know, the, the little things I loved about Taz when he was on commentary is that he would do really goofy, like, world-building things. Like, he would always re- reference Joey Numbers. Right. Joey Numbers was the fictional kind of guy he had you know like i got a guy for that like michael cole was like what are we gonna do next week when we're coming from australia taz like i oh, don't worry i'll give joey numbers a call he hook us up with with flights and passports you know <laughs> something like that like joey numbers was his guy in the street and it just gave that's very bobby heenan it is yeah and like you know vince likes his caricatures mm. and you know vince mcmahon was very happy when he had caricature oklahoma john wayne jim ross and 
Folklife, Brooklyn, Sopranos, Taz. Yeah. You know, he likes those very distinctive, like, ah, oh, a New York guy. Ah, <laughs> oh, an Oklahoma guy. That's what Vince likes. Yeah. The origins of it are here. The last gasp and dying breaths of old Taz from ECW is when Jerry Lawler pile drives him. He stands up and goes, fuck you. <laughs> Which is like so inappropriate and out of tone. Like the rest of the match is all like Jerry Lawler going, what, I give him a punch? Yay, Jerry punch him. And Taz like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm still in the pile driver. <laughs> Taz gets Jerry in the cat to Hajime and he goes over to JR to glow. And he's like, hey, redneck. I'm going to choke him out. And then I'm coming for you. So scary. Referee's down and JR is like, the the fact that JR is like kind of like, okay now. And like beforehand, JR and Jerry are like, we've got a plan. Yes, we do. (laughs) And Jerry. He's eating his sweets. He's got his candies. They're in Hershey, Pennsylvania. You know, Hershey kisses. Big jar sweeties. Yeah. And uh, JR did say there'd be no kissing in this match, but the candy jar comes into full contact with Taz's kisser. As JR smashes it into a million, billion, trillion pieces. Yeah. And Taz starts bleeding. Profusely. Really scary, because I assumed that they'd use fake glass. But if he's bleeding, I mean... It is fake glass. It is. Yeah. Remember we had on the Bossman episode, I showed you the thing as well, where he got hit with the water pitcher and then the glass went up his eye and he had a big lump. I just assumed that was because it's an eye, it's a soft thing. This is the back of Taz's head. Like, I imagine Taz's head is one of the hardest substances known to man. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) And hence you get pile-driven and it has no effect on him. Like, if you're trying to pile-drive a geodude, it's just not going to happen. Geodude, but with big, thick thighs instead of arms. There you go, that's the Pokemon. Who's that Pokemon? It's Taz! (laughs) So, yeah, I think, like... I think the sugar glass has been pointed out to, to me many, many times for like from like I knew a couple people who are wrestlers and I'm like I, I think sugar glass is like the coolest thing I love to be yeah. whoosh and like oh no 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 dangerous it like it, it does break very easily and it is less sharp but it still can like you don't know how it's going to splinter and how it's going to break it can still make very sharp little shards oh, right. so even though generally is safer it can still has the capacity to cut you and also as well when someone fucking like chair or pie face yeah. them like one banana cream pie Give it to me. He fucking smashes him with this. Yeah, he does. And uh, yeah, JR's hands bleeding afterwards. So. Yeah, I felt really bad for JR. With JR's his like, I'm on the worst of this here. Like his hands bleeding all over he the place. He looks really sad. And like closing images of this match are Taz bleeding going, Whoa, I got glass in my eye. <laughs> like, that bully. Yes. So good. I'm like, you know, I know a lot of people watch Taz, and I, I, you know, I can't speak for everyone. You know, I had friends who watched Taz, and I think they wouldn't say it to you up front, but I think a lot of people did kind of feel like, hey, I'm not the tallest guy in the world, but I'm still a badass, or like I can still be tough, and yeah. I, I want to see that represented in my in my media, and mm. I want to see that in wrestling. And I think Taz is like an icon for a lot of, of folks because he proved that it doesn't matter how short your stature is, you can be a badass and fuck the world and you can be that character. See, I think that's the trouble. Is I'm not interested in badasses. I mean, yeah. never have been and yeah. I don't think I ever will be. Like, that's that you said it so upfront at the start that yeah. he was a badass. And he is a badass. I can admire that. I can appreciate it. But it's just, it doesn't impress mm. me that way. It's yeah. not what gets me to like someone. I've never met someone and been like, oh, I like them because of how tough they are. I think... Like for every person who felt empowered by Taz being, you know, that badass, you know, uh, for as long as he was, I do think it's important to point out that little nerdy kids like me who are watching this 
who got bullied badly. Yeah, and that's the like, thing, like I swear to God, Joe, this resonated with me so much. And I, I can see why because, like, you know, wrestling was quite like it was talked about a lot in the playground. I know yeah. in school, like, even though most people I knew didn't really watch wrestling, it did it infiltrated its way into children's playtime. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine if you are a little kid being bullied by bigger boys or whatever that seeing someone like Taz, who is so tough and so small, would make you feel quite empowered. And, like, you know, I, there was a few occasions, not many, unfortunately, there were a few occasions where, like, an older, cooler boy would step to my rescue or help or, like, say, tell someone to stop or things yeah. like that. You know, I'm not talking like I was just being teased. I you know, get the shit beat out of me here. You know, someone saying stop. And, you know, Jerry Lawler very much is the aloof cool kids older boy older yeah. boy who's like <laughs> yeah prefect yeah yeah exactly and like after after he he helps you out you'll never speak of it again yeah, type of, of thing and you, like, you nod in the hallway when no one's looking yeah that's what i like, it really felt like this here like and you know to make me feel better than jerry lawler that he's like a protector and a savior yeah. you know it says a lot that when taz was holding jr in the car and spray painted 13 you turned and you went did he write that because of the allegations <laughs> no <laughs> It's Jerry's favorite age. <laughs> so yeah, I mean the, the the bit at the end where Jerry and Jay, like Jerry's like completely gas. He's like, "Well, we did a Jr." And Jerry's like, "Yep, we had a plan. It worked." And he looks right in the camera, and Taz can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, Taz transitioned into commentary a lot after that. You know, he did have a few returns. He did, you know, he won the tag bells with Spike Dudley from these from the Dudley Boys. They had a great little run in two thousand and two with that. And, you know, he did a pop up here and there, but he was never really like pushed to as like a big threat. He did come back as a good guy. There was a lot of use of Taz, kind of the fact that he could talk. He was used a lot in like the invasion angle and stuff like that. Like in the invasion angle where WCW and ECW invaded, Taz was like turned heel immediately. It's like, oh, Uncle Taz has turned. Michael Cole's upset because his broadcast colleague is gone. And then they turned him good guy again because he, he he was a renegade who booked the system. And then he joined them up again. Then they turned him back. Like Taz swapped back and forth like five times wow. during that one angle. Tweener. Which, no, it just showed you that they were like, oh, we can use him for an angle. But they, you know, they never actually had anything serious. Like he did wrestle Steve Austin, the world champion, and they had a match for like 30 seconds. Wow. Austin beat him in jeans and a jumper. A jumper. And a jumper. You know, not the dream match. Jeans is very stone cold. Yeah. A, a jumper? jumper. It's chilly out here in November. It's possibly stone cold out here. <laughs> Better wear a jumper. Stone cold Steve arms more like him. I was going to jump around you. So like, yeah. I kind of watched over the years as my friends who adored Taz kind of went through like seven stages of grief and, you know, interpretation of how to deal with the fact that Taz became a colour commentator. I'll never forget Paul Heyman's promo where it's like, he did the promo against Vince McMahon about how Vince ruins wrestling and he went, he used Taz. He was like, look at Taz. This man was a killer in ECW. And now he's a fat, obnoxious colour commentator, not even a good one. I was like, oh, Jesus. You know, Taz... He's not everyone's flavor. I think I kind of gave up and trying to sell you on Taz as being like a commentator that you'd like, mainly because you don't like commentary that much. No, and I, and think... I especially don't like color commentary that much. But I will say, he's definitely like a voice that is unique and can be appreciated. We didn't get into the depths of Taz eating a sandwich while recording his commentary in TNA because when the man's not motivated, he can bust out a poor performance. <laughs> and I will say once again, shout out to my friend Carl who. Spent his entire life being the biggest Taz fan in the world and was very excited when him and I went to WrestleMania 25. We got our tickets for Access. 
The one person he wanted to meet was Taz. And I shit you not, the day before when we were getting on the plane, Taz left the company. Oh! <laughs> so he never got to meet him. So yeah, I mean, Taz definitely... A name, I think, that is... He's an outlier in the late 90s. There's not many people like Taz, I feel. He's a unique story in many respects. Yeah. He came from ECW, but he's not an ECW story. He is kind of a guy who took himself very seriously, but not in the same way that Steve Austin or Bret Hart or any other top guy did. I think there's a lot of interesting chat to be had about Taz. I think before we get to hear about people's thoughts and opinions about Taz, I would like to know your star rating for that very silly heartwarming encounter. I liked this match compared to the other matches, yeah. which I did not think I would because I, I'm i not a big Taz fan and I'm certainly not a Jerry Lawler fan <laughs> in any way, shape or form. This is like when someone manages to make a dish with ingredients and you're like, oh, but I don't like that and I don't like that, but this tastes great. Well, this tastes fine. Oh, yeah? It was, this is, yeah, this is fine. How fine I was going to say this is baked beans on toast, but I like baked beans on toast a lot more than Ooh. I liked this match. Ooh. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, that's for dinner tonight. So. Is it? <laughs> yes. Ooh, yum. <laughs> so yeah, I, I gave this match three stars. Three stars? Out of five. Okay. I liked it. You liked it? But I didn't love it. What, what stopped you from loving it? I don't know. I feel like maybe if I liked Taz and Jerry Lawler more, mm. or if they'd done... Like, I feel like most of what I liked about this was... Like, I, I feel Taz was very good in this match. Great, like, ro- great in the role, yeah. Great performance. I think JR was really good. I don't think Jerry was very good in this. I feel like almost everyone in the angle, to an extent, was replaceable except for JR. Because I don't think there's anyone in the angle yeah. who could have uh, that sympathy and also the performance that JR did. You could have had... You know, a Steve Austin, like, you know, kind of yeah. anyone be the, the, the saviour for Jim Ross. It just happened to be particularly sweet that it was his antagonistic colleague that he usually didn't get on with yeah you know that's what i think made it that little bit extra special for me at least anyway yeah i think so but i think you're right that it could have been it didn't have to be taz it didn't have to be taz and i think for a lot of people who will look at that wwe run where he only wrestled actively for probably two years and then he became a commentator i think a lot of people are like oh this is like you know ruined his legacy and all that and, you know i think taz is has someone who i think with his legacy could have easily been someone to be forgotten or written off or could be someone who's like just, you know, the square peg in the round hole. He doesn't really fit into the narrative of the 90s. But I think Taz, you know, understands his brand, his legacy and the importance of the mystique of him, you know, not doing those, you know, not doing all the, the signings and all the shows and all that, knowing the power of his voice and his opinion. It's why the man's like, you know, that's why lots of wrestlers have got podcast deals and Taz has got a deal with CBS radio. Whoa. You know, Taz. And Taz, Taz and Michael Cole, this is what I always really thought was amazing that the hustle on Taz never ended because Taz was trying to get a, a, a show on the Howard Stern network with Michael Cole, like all the time they were commentators Whoa. together. There's actually actually there's some like kind of pilot footage of it knocking around on online yeah. the two of them. So like he always was like broadcasting like as soon as he knew that broadcasting was the future, he was not just preparing for a future of broadcasting and wrestling. He is preparing for a future in broadcasting outside of wrestling. Which is pretty fucking amazing. To do that before podcasting yeah. like was even a thing to be thinking about that. Like it's incredible. I've, I've got to admire the man. Yeah. Taz the man. He's clearly a very clever person. Very hardworking, very talented, very savvy. Yeah, and I think like it, it goes to show like the two most important things in wrestling. And people are like, you gotta love this. I don't even think you gotta love it because Taz, by his own admission, is like, yeah, I used to watch Bruno Sammartino, but yeah, yeah, 
you know, I watched it a bit. I watched like a Die Hard or anything like that. Yeah. But if you're a hustler and you you are a jack of all trades, like if you're someone who wants to learn every new skill, you know, that's that will ensure you like more success than any passion I think in inverted commas ever will because those are the tools that actually get you across the line those are the tools that get you fucking jobs is Taz a wrestling fan oh yeah absolutely absolutely I mean I say he is now he said he fell in love with it when he started doing it right and I don't think you can like you know I always thought his radio show I've not listened to much of it I've only heard a few clips here and there but I always thought, I was like, oh, he just talks sports and stuff. It's like 90% wrestling chat. Like, he talks about Raw, TNA. He, talk, he talks about all the wrestling shows. Like, Who's his you know? favourite wrestler? Uh, <laughs> I, I know he, I mean, he's a big fan of AJ Styles. He's a big fan of... Really? I mean, I'll tell you one of his favourite wrestlers and someone he mentored briefly in, uh, in TNA before they dropped the angle and someone who he definitely influenced a lot, one of your faves, and we mentioned him here, Samoa Joe. Really? Samoa Joe takes a lot from Taz. Wow. The hybrid athlete of suplexes and submissions... You know, Taz was the human suplex machine and Samoa Joe was the Samoan submission machine. Like, there's, See, I feel, you know... Yeah, I feel like it's a bit of a spectrum. I feel like Brock Lesnar is at the bottom of that spectrum because all he does is suplexes yeah. and he's a big boy, so it's easy for him. At the top, you got like maybe Drew Gulag. It's all Well, at the top, I think yeah. Samoa Joe, just because he's so hot. <laughs> so I was being the top, I meant that if it was a left-right spectrum. Right. Like rightness and wrongness. Yeah, when I think still... Samoa Joe is, is top of that spectrum mm. as well because yeah. I just I love him best very good he's just so scary I feel that's the thing like I feel Taz was trying maybe I'm just the wrong person or the mm. wrong age or I don't know but I don't find Taz frightening you didn't get the intimidation whereas factor. I do find Samoa Joe frightening mm. oh, Joe, Joe can frighten me a lot I mean and Brock Lesnar I find frightening yeah and you know, I think with the production values that Taz had for the majority of his career, because, you know, Samoa Joe gets a nice, you know, backlit studio environment where he gets to name with a nice tailor-made suit and a scared yeah. looking interviewer. Taz has got a towel. You know, he's doing that in Joey Styles' basement. Yeah. And he, he did, I think, with the tools that he had, I think that he he innovated in ways that I didn't think many no, could. No, you know what I think it is? He's too one-dimensional. Yeah, for you. Because what I like about Samoa Joe is that he's scary he's sexy he's a bit seductive he's charming you could totally bring him home to your mum Taz is just one dimensional angry man yeah but if Taz wasn't that angry man I don't I'm not think, saying he yeah. shouldn't be angry I'm saying he needs something else as well I think he got that later on but it's yeah. a shame that he got that when by his own because he was literally approached he was told like you know as we said you can have the surgery or not and yeah. he said nah I'm not going to bother and I think if you had that Taz's head you know that headspace and the understanding and the love of it all and you know being able to do some different things and color outside your lines a little bit and maybe broaden your horizons if we had that taz earlier on yeah he may have been a much different character but i think paul Heyman wanted an angry young man for the angry young men who are watching ecw yeah, and that's and, it i've never been an angry young man yeah so. <laughs> here's a question for you and taz and i don't think i've ever actually asked you this before an episode because i don't think there's ever been someone who you've been like you know I don't think I like them that much. Yeah. You know, there's been people you've been less keen on. Yeah. There's people who you've been kind of like, yeah, I like them. Because then... like, even Goldberg, I came out of that episode with an appreciation for him. Like, that you I, didn't have before. I didn't have before. Yeah. And I was kind of like able to go, yeah, okay, I actually, I like him a bit. Mm. Uh, you know, I can see the appeal. I, 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 I'm into it. You know, he's not my favourite, but I, I can, I like him. You see the appeal and whatnot. Whereas yeah. like Taz, like I don't dislike him, but I don't really like him either. But would you find yourself after this then like inclined to watch more Taz things no. to try and figure it out more? Are you kind of like, oh, I know that now. I feel I've seen it, but yeah. I don't, maybe that's totally wrong. But like part of the reason I say that is like, you know, I did, I genuinely asked 
people on Twitter. And we did a lot of extracurricular yeah, watching watched, for this as well. Yeah. We watched, you know, it wasn't just these matches in case people think I just showed her these matches. I showed her a bunch more ECW matches. You know, I just didn't want this to be like match, 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 because I realized we didn't have a documentary or like a lot of like interviews to guide us through this. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm very intrigued. And I think right now going into those tweets and those messages um, <laughs> to hear some love for Taz. Let's go to your tweets and your Facebook posts. Come this Sunday night in your hometown, just the way I want it. All the odds against me. I'm going to show you why they call me champ. In Asbury Park, March 1st, this Sunday night, live on pay-per-view, Bigelow. I'm going to tell the truth right now. And I'm hooking my hold on you. And you're going to tap out. Even when I was a rule breaker or a bad guy or the heel, I never lied to the people. And I'm not lying now. I'm going to hook the Kata Hajime on you, Bam Bam. And you're going to tap. I promise. And I guarantee that will happen. Because while you're out, running your mouth on the radio, and doing talk shows, and playing with your kids, I'm sweating, busting my ass, day after day. That's why I'm a miserable workhorse. That's why I have this. Because I don't talk about it, bro. I do it. Put up or shut up, huh? Prove myself where you've been, you big schmuck. I've proved myself the past 11 years. So you show up this Sunday night at Living Dangerously in your hometown and prepare yourself, Bam Bam. Because I'm going to hook it on you and you're going to tap. You know why? Because I'm Taz, the ECW World Television Champion. Beat me if you can, Bigelow. Survive. If I let you. And we're back. Lots of rumination. Lots of, uh, I don't want to say guilty feelings, but you seem to be in the throes of a mild crisis of sorts. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen you like this on this show before. I just feel really guilty. <laughs> don't. It's but fine. It's just, oh, I just, mm. like The only other person I've had this kind of response to was Hulk Hogan. Oh, and, well, now, and he these really, are not the same response. He, he deserves that. Taz does not, des- like, Taz is actually very talented, very skilled. It's just, he's not my boy. Not your boy, but I think... You think back to the Hogan episode, because it's been a while, and I think it might just be like on the shelf of the image of something that you didn't like. Yeah. But I would probably say, as someone who spent a long time going through 50 shades of things he doesn't like, that there's probably a bit of a... Dis- you, you could probably discern between Hulk Hogan and Taz, hopefully, in terms of how they've uh, impacted on you. I hope so. I, yeah. ho- I hope people don't... I hope Taz doesn't listen to this and get upset. Have you been feeling guilty reading some of the tweets then? Because there's been some awful love that has been sent in. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad in a way that I'm in the minority. Because I would hate it if like I came out of this episode being like, yeah, I didn't really like Taz. And then we got to the tweets and I was like, yeah, we don't really like Taz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think... 
Oh, it's almost a given that in any episode of How to Wrestling, you're always going to find detractors and major proponents of like any topic or person that we, we kind of have a, an examination of. I think it's just the reality of becoming a big star or thing in wrestling that people will have lots to say for you, for and again, yeah. So these are using the hashtag HowToTaz and also the hashtag HowToTaz because no one could decide whether one or two, but definitely not three Zs were applicable for, <laughs> for, for this social campaign. Okay, so first up on Twitter over at HowToWrestling, we have one from Stephen Minahane. Like a smaller, intense Lesnar back in the day, the original hashtag Suplex City could hit them from anywhere and in any variation. Had class WWE debut a loud MSG who ate up his match with Angle, one of the Triple H victims in his bury everyone stage. <laughs> Him and Cole helped make SmackDown. Yeah, I think that's that's the last accolade there in terms of what he did in WWE is probably one of the most important ones. And I think we've maybe passed out of the period of time where you feel awkward about saying you really missed something from 2003 and 4. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're in the point now where nostalgia for that era is ripe. And yeah, I think, it's been 20 you know, years. Yeah. I mean, come on. Jesus. And we've all, you've all just noticed there now at home, you've all turned into skeletons. <laughs> now it's out there how we were able to do that. Thanks very much for, for that tweet. Going here from Johnny Bryan, perhaps one of the biggest missed opportunities for the WWE ever, someone with an amazingly simple, badass gimmick ready to go with an already built-in massive fan base. But has anyone ever gone from such an amazing debut to bottom of the WWE barrel so fast and so hard for seemingly no good reason other than being a bit short? But you've become a hell of a commentator, the voice of the best period of SmackDown, with genuine sports-like analysis of the matches, but he could still be emotional and funny. I'll remember him more for that than for the matches. And he signs off by saying, Goozle, which is what Taz would call a choke slam, because Taz, as silly as he was in commentary, did probably find the sweetest balance between I'm going to call this like it's sports and I'm going to make silly jokes that Vince McMahon will like. Oh, cool. I like that. Because I think Jerry Lawler has never called a wrestling maneuver his entire tenure of commentary, but Taz would always try and give a bit of analysis and all that. Yeah, and in terms cool. of the emotion, there was a time where he hit the F5. Me and Adam were obsessed with this, where he went, oh man, F5's coming. <laughs> and that, you know, when someone's doing grunts and commentary, they're, they're doing a good commentary job. <laughs> Another one here on Twitter from Big Boss Fan. People will say Chris Jericho, but for my money, Taz had the best WWE debut of all time. It was so good, the rest of his WWE career immediately gave up even trying to be any good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's impossible to live up to that moment and that hype and i feel for a lot of people who kind of like debut at like royal rumbles and stuff like that where they mm. have this real special kind of moment and then afterwards it's kind of hard to keep that momentum going it's just so strange to me because like i didn't like his debut really i mean i can say you know yeah it's it's impressive it's cool it usually takes more than like big reaction from a fan base to because like for me, I see that, and it's like it's the fan reaction is what. Yeah. What, I mean, I say that, of course. What What happens is, Joe, I look at that and I get remembered of when I was uh, 12 years old. Right. Yeah. And I can't quite explain, but that makes me feel happy that something when I was 12 gave me goosebumps and still does now. <laughs> so if you don't like it, that's your problem, really. <laughs> <laughs> Got one here from Christopher Cade that makes me somewhat guilty. 
I have to say it's a mixture of Kevin's impressions, stories of the multiple beefs he's had on Twitter, and his general booking after WWF have at points made my strongest connotations with the man as it being a bit of a joke, but my goodness, in ECW, wrestlers and pundits often talk about it factors and presence, and he had both in spades. Ooh, has he, has he got the it factor? In? I just don't... Because I, I think he does. I don't think he does but he just i guess this is like i always thought the it factor was like objective you either have it or you yeah, don't yeah you have like. it or you don't but i guess i guess it's subjective you know to some people you do and to others you you don't he just to me doesn't seem special oh my god <laughs> i feel really bad saying this i feel like i'm gonna get so many angry messages from like to angry Taz fans and you know how scary they are yeah right Taz is so scary I bet all his fans are like proper hard nuts the, the, the thing they're is they're gonna beat me up you're gonna go to Nug City Joe that's what's gonna Nub City <laughs> Nub City sorry <laughs> I mean like all I'll say is is that he produces such a great amount of content he's like five times a week yeah that even if there is an outrage I doubt it'll last the midweek uh, peak of, of okay. Wednesday or Thursday so you'll be alright and we'll all protect you Joe won't we we will we'll have of all of us who've tweeted in, people like Christopher K there, who've uh, who, we're all in it together now, aren't we? Those who've tweeted and podcasted extensively about the man, mm. we all have to stick up for each other now, don't we? Yes, and, and Joe particularly. Yes, she's innocent in all of this. Now from Anne Plushy, Taz is the epitome of Paul Heyman's ability to highlight the positives and present a performer at their best and most interesting in ECW. Taz in WWF is the prototypical your fave indie went to WWE and was ruined. Yeah, I think there, there's a lot of times where people from ECW went in and it was like, oh, they're not going to let you do you know, the tables, you're not going to be able to do the the chairs, the crazy, you know, like, I, I think when people like Balls Mahoney went to WWE and thought, well, there's not going to be a whole ton you can do there. Or even the Dudley boys. You would have thought Taz, though, who was like a guy from ECW but didn't do loads of silly weapons and stuff like that, that he would have been embraced a little yeah. bit. But I guess not. And I think one thing that we've learned that is certainly very, very, very subjective is the concept of toughness. Because... One man's super tough badass in ECW does not get treated or perceived as such when he's in WWE because I don't think for Vincent Mann, things like judo and stuff like that, I don't think that rated for him that Taz had all of those yeah. legitimate badass skills and No, because he's short, isn't he? So yeah. that kind of overshadows literally everything else in Vince's mind. It is amazing to think how far we've come. The fact that, like... Even now, where I would say, if you ask me Vince's opinion on short, shorter wrestlers, I would still say, oh, he's negative about it. Yeah. But this, like, he would, like, hire someone seemingly out of spite to yeah. ruin him a bit, like. One here from Kyrie Crawford, who, again, is recommending the Royal Rumble debut, but says, without a hint of irony, I think the phrase, beat me if you can, survive if I let you, is one of the most badass anime-esque quotes in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, it's pretty good. You don't think so? It's good. A light nod? I don't know, I just feel it's not... Yeah, it's, it's fine, it's good. Yeah, I like it. I just don't love it. There are a lot of ones here which are somewhat hammering the point home. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm here on Facebook trying to find some positive ones. I'm, I'm actually surprised... Uh, they are skewing negative, let's really? just say. Really? They are, yeah. I, I'm. There are people who are taking a lot of umbrage with the commentary and, um, you know. But there are a few passionate advocates in here. But I will say, not 
the not the split I thought I would say. And this is the thing, like I don't even feel like I can agree with the people who hate Taz because I feel that people who hate Taz are either going to hate his like WWE goofy run, which I actually quite liked. Well, a lot of people actually. There was one or two people who were like, "That's the best match he's ever done." But I think <laughs> there's some people. Who like like because we said that in the Attitude podcast we were like I think the the run with Jerry Lawler is one of the best things he did and it, if you hear that it sounds like you're burying him yeah like, oh yeah the little match he did with the, the commentator yeah that was really good was no it actually it was it was yeah. we're being genuine here <laughs> now from Josh Garvey I swear ECW Taz is the best example of mystique building I've ever seen in wrestling the way he came off his interviews those suplexes it really sold you on this dude who's like five foot seven as just a world beater shame it didn't last past ecw here's a question do you think in this day and age where everything's under a microscope you know every, every company's got bajillions of hours of tv everyone's expected to be tiktoking and instagramming and hobnobbing with the rest of them on social media i kind of wonder can you do a mystique building you know we're, we're kind of only showing you aspects of this guy we're building the kind of narrative of how you are going to kind of consume the content that is this individual mm-hmm. is that even possible anymore because i think of ecw where it's like you know even when i was you know unaware of a lot of what was going on in ecw when i was younger you guess because it was kind of cult and it's like oh it's this thing that's on and people tape trade and it's on local tv mm-hmm. and all that you might hear little snippets of taz and you might see bits here and there but as if you're sitting down to watch taz three times a week like you would with a lot of WWE superstars. So what, would he feel like this kind of like, I don't know, like Sasquatch or something, this like rarely seen monster? Just in the case that I feel it's a lot easier to kind of create that narrative then than it is now. Because I see like we're in May 2020 at the moment and they're trying to do this like mystery hacker in, in WWE. Yeah. And like I, I'm not going to begin to tell you how little intrigue there is around it yeah, in it that... Sucks. They have this multi-million pound studio and all this bells and whistles and they can't like, show, not tell of, mm. of what this is. I just don't know if it's possible anymore. I think it's possible. I think it's just the WWE suck at mm. that stuff. It's a small it's a small group bit of business, isn't They're it? They're ham-fisted. They don't understand subtlety and nuance. It takes a bit of skill to, I think, build mystery around yeah. the character. It isn't just like forcing that mystery down the viewer's throats and be like, look, they're mysterious. Look, look how mysterious they are. Next up from Noah Likes Lego, Taz is one of those wrestlers whose backstory is like finding lore collectibles in a video game. For me, he started as a goofy commentator and then I heard about ECW and that he was a big part of it. And then finding him being a killer champion to round out the story. That is like absolutely 100. That is so my experience yeah. of it. Yeah. That's a lot of people's experience. I mean, mm. like I think... I think for a lot of people, Taz is is a very interesting examination on, you know, on the handling of legacies and people's perception. Because I think wrestling will always be about, like, the perception that fans have. And that's always going to be the most important thing. I think any wrestler who claims he doesn't care or she doesn't care what the fans think is lying. Because ultimately, what the fans think is the most important thing. And with Taz, you had someone who had a very, very, very tailored and, like, you know, a lot of effort went in to make this this vibe and this legacy be very, very much like a special ECW thing. 
And I think it is impressive that he went to WWE. They both ignored his legacy and worked kind of against it yeah. in many respects. They like rewrote it in yeah. a way. They kind of say like, don't remember this. Like remember mm. him as this instead. Yeah. And not really for any reason other than a little bit of spite or that they didn't understand what they had with him. So I will always say, I am so impressed that Taz, through sheer will of attrition, through his very careful management of his appearances in wrestling to this day, and also the fact that he's a bit of a media empire to his name, I think he still has managed to grab the reins of the legacy. And it's still very much, you don't think Taz, and think that's a goof. You think Taz, you think, well, they maybe did some stuff with him he wasn't happy with, but he does this, that. Like, he has managed to gain ownership, I think, of his own narrative again. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people who went to WWE and were told, like, nah, your legacy means fuck all, and they fuck around with them. They're just kind of forgotten about then for the rest of time. So kudos to Taz for legitimately bouncing back because WWE could have ruined him, I yeah, feel. Yeah, genuinely. And uh, yeah, there that says a lot about the man's force of will that it didn't happen that way. Now from Willpool, made his name in a different company, terrifying stout man who chokes out his opponents, starts to pivot to commentary as his in-ring career winds down and injuries catch up. Is Samoa Joe the more successful version of what WWE tried to use Taz for? Absolutely, because if you look at Samoa Joe, when he showed up in WWE... Look at me, look at Samoa Joe, you can tell. When Joe shows up to WWE, they don't like kind of say, your legacy didn't happen. They're Mm. just kind of like, right, you're this guy, we believe you, Mm. be that guy. There wasn't like kind of a negotiation between what we want you to be and what you were elsewhere. It felt Mm. like they let Joe still be what he was Mm. and just build upon that. I mean, he's definitely a different character now that he's on the WWE main show than he was in NXT or in the indies. Like he was much scarier on NXT. And as he's moved up to the main show, he's become a little bit more goofy, which is interesting because that is actually quite similar to Taz. But he's still like he's still Samoa Joe. He's still Samoa Joe. He's still so scary. And I think I don't know if it's that they give him more agency over his character or if it's because he's not short that they're like, well, he can do this stuff, you know, and get away with it. But I he, think he fits their the roles they wanted for him a lot better because the thing about Samoa Joe is that I think originally they had some issues with 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 body type and whatnot in WWE, but I think he fits a, a mold of like a big guy that they want. Mm. Whereas I think Taz, it was like the stature thing with him. They were never going to book him yeah. the way he was being booked. Whereas Joe, like kind of, there was a consistency at least. The Samoa Joe you see on, on Raw, he may be very, very different in many respects, but he still broad strokes wrestles pretty much the same as he did when he was in TNA or Ring of Honor. And he still is pretty much the same character, you know, on the microphone and whatnot. Whereas Taz, within a year or two, went from being, you know, he, he completely changed both his style, his look, the way he spoke. So, I mean, I guess Joe just wasn't broken down for composite parts yeah, like Taz was. I guess that's true, yeah. Yeah. Now on from Bring the Noise One, ECW Taz versus WWE Taz is the clearest demonstration of Heyman's booking ability. Paul looked at his skills and how to work around his weaknesses. Vince just noticed he was short. <laughs> yeah, I think there you go. That's that's definitely it. And I think one thing I would like to maybe point from this is I think there is a lot of um, there's a lot of very black and white views of like particularly Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon. And I think certainly something that's come up from looking at the three promoters and the three big companies of the this period of time, and then also circling around with the, the wrestlers from those companies. You're seeing a lot of similarities though with what. 
Vince did with with certain wrestlers and what Paul Heyman was doing. Yeah. They were all manipulating their emotions back then. It was the style yeah. at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only difference is one of them literally, because of their financial situation, couldn't be fucking around with people's emotions just to make themselves feel good about themselves, which is what Vince McMahon <laughs> clearly was doing. So, Joe, we're, we're going to try and move away into maybe some more modern wrestling now to maybe find something that will, will cheer you up after you're having a hard time. Yeah. And obviously... We had a wrestler here who maybe was a, a challenge for you to, to get your head around. But I think we're going to come cover someone now who you've definitely seen before. You're definitely aware of them. I'm not sure if you're aware of their entire history. But I think it might be a more pleasant day at the office when we go 360 degrees around this glorious sphere of ours <laughs> to cover how to AJ Styles. Yay! This is a name that you have been familiar about for a long, long, long time. Yep. In more ways than one. Yep. And I think we have a bit of a challenge on our hands in some respects with AJ Styles. Mm-hmm. And in other ways, this may be the easiest episode ever we're about to do. It's going to be flips. Yep. There's going to be discussions on flat earth. <laughs> Flips. Flats. The gay community. <laughs> I only know like three, oh no, four things about AJ Styles. Okay. And that's those three things. Yeah. And the fact that he has his kid's birth dates tattooed on his chest. Oh, and his own name. Yeah. When we were doing the artwork for this episode, I was like, Dan, there's only two things you need to know about AJ Styles. One, he believes in a flat earth. And two... He has his own name tattooed on his body. Okay, one, there's some stuff out there, man. And two, <laughs> to, you know, to revisit WrestleMania, please don't bury me, Joe Graham. <laughs> <laughs> now, with AJ, I'm really interested to kind of look back and look back far because AJ's been wrestling, I don't know if you know this, since like 1999, 2000. What? He's, he's a long tenured history. AJ Styles has found himself, yes, in WWE, but also TNA for most of his run. Ring of Honor, but also even WCW for a brief spell. Whoa. He is a long tenured name in wrestling. And I think he's a very fascinating look about how someone can go from being very much an outlier in the olden days to being the mainstream style and what we want to see. And something I know about you and AJ Styles is that he was one half of you, what you told me for many years was your favorite match, which is him and John Cena at SummerSlam. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that match so much. So I think with regards to AJ, a lot of his classic matches in WWE, we probably have seen and covered for our Patreon page. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure if it's worth revisiting any of those ones. Maybe like the ones that you said were like your faves at the time. Or if we should just go back into the history of AJ. But there will be absolutely no shortage. A man who's found himself in every major promotion in Mexico, Japan, the US and beyond. The world traveler. You think he's been around it so much he know what fucking shape it is. But (laughs) (laughs) hey, we'll all get our pro controllers ready. And we'll settle in for what will no doubt be an absolute fucking train wreck of a story of the personal history of the man AJ Styles. But what will no doubt be an absolute pleasure and a breathtaking, death-defying spectacle when we are after the matches, the segments, your thoughts, of course, all the recommendations for the in-ring career of AJ Styles. Joe, he calls himself the phenomenal one. Has he earned that moniker in your right from what you've seen so far? I mean, yeah, it's it's really hard to say when someone's in the middle of their... I guess not the middle of their career. He's probably at the tail end of his career. But like, I feel he's too—he's too young to for me to say whether or not. I mean, I certainly think he's pretty great as a wrestler. Okay, well, that will be the judge then. We will have to answer the question: Is AJ Styles 
phenomenal. Okay. With all the all the things one has to consider, because <laughs> when AJ Styles pops into my head, I'm not gonna lie, it conjures up so many images for yeah. me. Everything from nostalgia to the things about wrestling that I find to be inescapably hilarious to some of the inescapably shit parts of wrestling as well. We will be talking about the man and we'll be talking about the performer and the performance. Don't forget to use the hashtag HowToAJStyles and the best tweets will of course be read out at the end of our episode. Well, Joe, that's going to do it for our look into the human suplex machine, Taz. You feeling all right? I'm feeling sleepy. Feeling sleepy. Okay. Well, it's time for a nap. It's time for another Taz match for you, I guess. No. <laughs> I, think, I think it would be good, though, if we, if, like, if I need a nap. I do find it hard to nap often. Yeah. So you could just put on a Taz match. Instead of, like, soothing sleep sounds, <laughs> just put on a Taz match and gently drift off. These are by no beats to study too, and maybe have a nap with as well. <laughs> Alright folks, well that's going to do it for us until next time, it's a goodbye from me Kevin, and a goodbye from me Joe, and we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya!